Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, March 2nd, 2016, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm in the house with Mr. Steve Say. Yo. Mr. Bob Ryer. Hey. And on the line with Miss Stephanie Cook. Hola. And Mr. Joey Braccino. What up? What up? All right. So, uh, cool show for you this week. We've got um, Joel Jones. writer and artist of of, of lady killer um a little bit later in the show for you guys um she is the delightful person to talk to so I, I, and it was uh, a good interview so we look forward to you guys hearing that a little bit later um mm-hmm. we've got some of course we've got uh, our lightning rounds to go through we've got um our, our our books of the week steve has a very happy book to talk about that so happy it's gonna uplift us all <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> pour yourself a drink now yeah. yeah. Uh, but before we get to that, um, I want to get I want to get the the big stuff out of the way first, um, because I, I know that people have probably been waiting for us to talk about this since the news broke. Um, it was Thursday, I think Thursday. It was certainly was it, it certainly wasn't before. Tuesday. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's what I know for sure. It feels <laughs> like forever ago. Yes. Um, anything that happens post recording of the show always feels like forever ago, unless it's one of those news stories that breaks like fifteen minutes before we record. I always feel like it's happened forever ago, but but um, after a long time um, uh, of sort of uh, speculation of what was going to happen, um, Finn Jones, uh, who plays uh, Sir Loras Tyrell on The Night of Flowers on Game of Thrones, uh, got cast as Danny Rand slash Iron Fist uh, uh, on, for the Netflix Marvel show. The Night of Flowers. Yeah, that's his name. Mm-hmm. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. legit. His legit thing. his name. It's yeah. a very nice name. It is a nice, nice name. Do you not watch Game of Thrones? No, I do. I actually I like his character quite a bit. Yeah. It has been a while since they've called him that. I will give you that. But that is yeah. the, that is that was the name that, that they called him. He's so pretty in that show. He is. He is very he's pretty. He's pretty he, all the time. Pretty in real life. I'm gonna assume. <laughs> if he's that's pretty kind of like the thing in the books, though. Like he's like super pretty. Yeah, that's yeah. Well, he's the that's Knight, Knight of Flowers. He is the Knight of Flowers. Well, he's one that everyone pretty. swoons over. Yeah. All the yeah. all the girls swoon over. He is a dream. He is. Sansa is just like. Hey, fella. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, she is all about them flowers. It's true. It's true. There's a yeah. dirty joke somewhere in there, but we're, yeah. we're going to move on from that. Oh. Um, There's so, always dirty jokes to be had. It's true. It's true. Just that, don't take the easy ones, Bobby. I didn't. I didn't say I know, it. I know. I know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, just don't. Yeah. 
well, you, then you don't make puns, and then oh. then we'll be all, all set to go. Oh, that's oh, never going to happen. That's literally getting... never going to happen. This is getting heated, guys. This is what the real debate's going to be about. Yeah. <laughs> puns Bobby, and jokes. Thunderdome has been pre-ordered. It's, <laughs> oh, it will not happen. Puns Just versus dirty jokes. It. That's that's or the we're going to replace you with your better half, Karen. Okay, all right. We'll see if that wow. ever happens. We haven't even started <laughs> talking about it yet. I know. <laughs> we're going to have a fight now, so we don't have to fight later. But uh, yeah, no, we're so, getting it out of the way. We're getting out of the way right now. So, um, so basically, um, this has been a very hot button issue. Obviously, I mean, I think anyone who's been around the internet for the last week uh, knows that. And um, you know, I, I think we, some of us have differing opinions on this whole situation. And the whole sort of point of this is that we're gonna give our our points and go there. I think the uh, talk on the internet has been a little bit too angry which a lot of times it is but we're not going to follow along with that discussion i think that i think the first thing thing to say is that angry (laughs) the obvious thing is that you know this discussion isn't for people who are who are legitimately racist and have issues with people of other colors because that does not that that no one here is that and we're not talking to those people because those are idiots who who need to just amen shut up all right so (laughs) uh but there i think there is a discussion to be had here and i think there are good points on uh, on both sides and i don't even know where everybody where everybody falls on the discussion i just i just know that there's going to be differing opinions so um so I wanted to, to, to talk about that. So obviously the, the, the sort of the, the big deal, right, is that um, there was hope that when they cast Iron Fist that he would not be cast as a, a, a white man, but as a, a person of color, hopefully Asian American. But, you know, uh, some, uh, there could have also been there's also other ideas in there as well. Um, and, and obviously he was cast uh, with a white actor, which, you know, follows along with what the comic book origin is and the comic book character has been. Um so, um, Stephanie, I know that you felt very passionately and, and want, wanted wanted to talk about this. So, I, I want to let you sort of kick things off and, and kind of give your your sort of idea about um, what this casting. I just think that it was a really unique opportunity for Marvel to shake things up and do something with minority characters that you don't see in Hollywood a lot. Like, I I was reading um, an infographic the other day, and less than 1% of Asian actors are cast in lead roles. Um, This character was white, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he needed to be white in this show. Diversity is a big issue in Hollywood, in comics, in general. And this was a great opportunity to take that character and take away the things that heavily rooted it in racism, very blatant racism, and to make a new start for this character uh, as a more mainstream focus for audiences around the world. All right. Um, I'm going to let Bob go next. What do you you think about the casting? I'm, as usual, I come down on the side of history. Mm Mm-hmm. And in this case, fidelity to the source material. I read those books as they came out, and I'm not to say that I'm the paragon of virtue. I don't want it to come off that way. <laughs> of course not, Bob. But the storyline that was being told, you got to remember, this came out in 1974. In 1973, at the height of the Kung Fu movement, the Bruce Lee films and all the follow-ups that came with that, mm-hmm. the year before uh, by Steve Englehart and Jim Starlin, they had introduced Shang-Chi, the master of Kung Fu. Mm-hmm. 
that actually licensed Fu Manchu. He's the son of Fu Manchu. He's certainly Asian character. It's there. Iron Fist story is, for anyone who's read Lost Horizon or H. Ryder Haggard She, it's going for Shangri-La and finding somewhere. Mm -hmm. And it's told from, in this point, you know, white folks going to this land and then adopting that culture, which I just, I, I'm not sure that that in and of itself is a negative. Yeah, I know, I, I understand that. I think that I think uh, I sort of what I've, because I've I've done a lot of readings since the the casting because you know I have uh, I you know as you've we've talked about many times in the show I, I it, unless there's something in the character that says it has to be a, you know a certain race essential to the character changing the race of a character has n n never bothers me in anything uh, nor nor gender actually doesn't bother me either I you know the thing I the issues I sort of saw with it is that a it's sort of like um, white white man goes to this ancient culture and automatically becomes the best at, 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 at you know the the sort of mm -hmm. i can do this better than all of you sort sort of idea and the idea also i saw which is the word i never i never ever experienced before which was uh orientalism which is about you know depictions yeah. of of eastern cultures done by people from the west and that 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 book is very steeped in that idea of what what people from the west think the east is is like and not very sort of accurate to, to what that what that was. Those are the only, the only things that I think I think that's sort of the issue. I saw uh, Marjorie Lou. Marjorie Lou had a, some stuff to say about it as, as yeah, well. Yeah, I just uh, sent the link actually. Yeah, yeah, um, which was interesting. Yeah, she said like specifically, she summed it up really well um, when she just said, "Iron Fist is a Orientalist white man yellow fever narrative. Asian actor would have helped subvert that offensive trope and reclaim space." Mm -hmm. Okay, now let me just yeah, of not to argue with no, it's not arguing. No, I, but no, you but you have say, a unique right, perspective here to, because uh, having read the books in since, question from for, the, and, yeah, and the books absolutely. I'm talking about from the 30s, yeah, read yeah, those too. Yeah, is white savior trope more or less offensive than Asian martial arts superstar? That that's what their power set is: kung fu. Mm -hmm. But They're, the thing they is, both is like fall what into... she's specifically sort of saying is that doing the show respectfully like they have been with the series that have come before would have helped to change that and to kind of give a better look at that character. You know, like it, it's not better to have a white guy doing that. It's just not. Mm -hmm. It's uh, yeah. equally, I mean, like it, it's... I don't know it to me I think it would have shook things up in a positive way to have more diversity in um what what do they call the MCU for the TV what's the I think they still they still kind of I think it's some called something else but yeah um that being said like it's they could think outside the box they could come up with different ways to portray this character and they could come up with other ways to make it not racist. They chose to take the easy way out. Yeah, I mean, I would say, I, I, I think that, I think that uh, calling it racist is is going a little too far because we don't know what the show's going to look like and how they're going to subvert or go against those stereotypes, whatever was in the comic book origin in in the, you know, in the, in the show itself. And I don't think that, I, I don't think you'll, hear anyone say that the way Iron Fist has been portrayed over the years is not necessarily a, a racist character, you know? And so I think that, I, I think that there, this, this is a, a multi-layered issue. And I also think that it's, 
Um, and something I'm not saying that you're doing this. I'm just saying in general, I don't think the perspective of I want to stay true to what the source material was is is a is a backwards way of of or position to have about all of this. I, I think that it's I think that it, it's one perspective you know, balance with other perspectives and all we can come from is what we feel and where our perspectives are on, on, on all of this. Um, uh, Bob, I want to, I want to hear you finish your point though. No, I'm, You're good. I'm okay. Good. Joey, what do you think about all this? Um, I just, uh, look, uh, I'm trying to think like where to start <laughs> with my, with my life. Um, <laughs> so, so speaking as someone who, and I, I tweeted this out too, but speaking as someone who, um, for a very long time, like, didn't have a box on forms to check off when it came down to, like, the what is your race question, you know, and who knows what it's like to to walk into a room of, of white folks and be like, oh, I don't belong here. And also to walk into a room of Asian folks and know, oh, I don't belong here, too. That kind of othering uh, sensibility and, and what that um, is something that I'm very familiar with. And... I I love Iron Fist. I love the character and I love the story because um it has that 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 central theme to it. Um and I uh as Danny Rand for me and, and the Iron Iron Fist story, excuse me, for me is about being othered and being othered in a very interesting factor. Now I, I get the the kind of imperialist colonialist reading of it and the and 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 um, I do get that. What I what I see in that though is that Danny Rand is this white in the comics is this white blonde hair blue eyed economically privileged male who is brought by his father who is also a white blonde-haired, blue-eyed, economically privileged male who does do that whole, you know, let's go to the East where uh, all of our problems in the West can be solved and does have all of that Orientalist trope and does have all of that imperialist. But Danny Rand is just a boy at the time and he's, I don't want to spoil a 50-year-old story, but uh, <laughs> is Danny Rand is orphaned and he's stuck with all of the baggage of his biased, prejudiced father and has to live in Kunlun, which, yes, it's a mystical city, but it's it's China, okay? Like, I see it and I'm like, those are my people, right? <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and is stuck there and has to learn cultural identity and has to learn racial identity and has to learn about community and has to learn through <laughs> through the hard way what happens when the things that he was entitled to or thought he was entitled to before isn't true and yeah there's kung fu in it and yeah there's he does become the iron fist but what i love about the danny rand story is that in the lead up to becoming iron fist and even after he becomes iron fist the people in kunlun are like fuck you danny rand who are you <laughs> white blonde hair blue eyed economically privileged boy coming into our town and doing this crap right like like that's like the the story of iron fist is about negotiating culture and negotiating race and what it feels like to be othered and how and how do you respond to that and and that's why i love the character and as long as that narrative is maintained and is addressed 
Iron Fist as a story presents us with the opportunity to talk about the differences and the similarities between culture and race and and, and how do we balance those. And if that's what they're going to tell us in this Netflix story, then it doesn't really matter what color the actor playing Iron Fist is because I think the the color of the skin of Danny Rand isn't as important as the conflict that that skin presents in the story. Um, and now a caveat to that is, yes, that works with a white actor. It could also work with a black actor. It could have worked with a Latino actor. It could have worked with a Chinese-American actor. And you can talk about, like how I feel, how even when I am with my Chinese family, I still know that I am not like them. Like, there's something about that that is negotiate. Like, that's something that you can present as well. And that's why, like, a biracial actor or something, like, it, it totally could have worked. But I'm not upset that it's a white actor because my hope is that 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 racial and cultural narrative is explored because I think that's at the heart of the story. Um, in addition to the, the the kung fu, you know, like I, 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 I I'm sorry, Stephanie, go ahead. I just I, I disagree with that in such a sense that like I, I get what you're saying and I can really and truly appreciate where you're coming from, but it's the same sort of thing where prior to Kamala Khan kids and girls didn't have like a female role model that was Muslim and all these other things. It's not just about the story. It's about visually having somebody that kids and everyone can identify with, you know, like you don't get to like cast a white person into this role and then have Asian kids be like, Oh my God, like he's just like me. Like, you know, like well, there needs absolutely. to be more and diversity, period, not just it, it's all fine and dandy to have a great story. But I think that needs to be backed up with uh, actual casting with diversity. You can't just yeah. tell diverse stories without putting your money where your mouth is. I totally agree with that. And that's why I'm saying, like, if if they had gone that route and cast an Asian American actor in that role, I would have been like, "That's cool." If they cast a black actor, Latino actor, I would have I would have thought that's cool. If they cast a a, a female actor in, in cool, you know. Um, but the things that I'm more upset about, and I, I I think about representation a lot because I've had to think about it my entire life, you know, and I've had to think about you know. Um, race and culture in that, my entire life. And when I think about it more, what makes me more upset is who's running this show? You know, who's writing this show? Who's, who's, who are the faces that are, are, are telling this story? And that's when I get worried because there's something that I, I am excited about seeing in the kind of inversion of prejudice that Iron Fist allows for. And look, I'm not saying like, I would have been like, no, Asian American Iron Fist, that's not the comic book. Absolutely not. I would have been like, hell yes, that's awesome. But I get more authentic representation and a feeling of of together, like uh, a feeling like I see myself in characters like Agent May and Daisy Johnson on, on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because that's authentic and that's real. And could they have gone that way with Iron Fist? Absolutely. But I, 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 I like that, um, what I see there, uh, too. And, you know, thinking about characters that I, I want to see, in, I, I, I have more problems with the fact that, you know, we never talk about Shang-Chi 
and the the potential for that story. We, Agent Carter's giving us all these characters that look. I like season two, and I know it's ending tonight or to yesterday. Time travel. <laughs> Um, but you know, like they're giving me characters that I, I'm really not invested in, and they had Jimmy Woo sitting on the back burner, and and that's some that's a route they totally could have gone with. And I'm more upset with you know, whitewashing in Doctor Strange, and and my fears with what could potentially happen with Iron Fist down the line, which could totally come come to pass uh, in terms of what they do with the cultural representation of Kun Loon. Um, that's stuff that I'm more potentially angry about and upset with than this. And look, I'm not saying like this is perfect, but I'm not upset about it as I would be about something else. Any of these other things that I've kind of just mentioned. Now see to me, Joy, I agree when you speak about Shang-Chi, you could use that character. Yeah, I mean like is are we gonna get Shang-Chi and Iron Face? Are we gonna get Colleen Wing? Are they gonna are they gonna recast some of these figures in Kung Moon as not Asian? Like this is something that I'm legitimately scared of and would be upset over. And you know, I know we're getting Misty Knight. Are we getting Colleen Wing? That would be awesome because then there's a history there, right? Like something that 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 I was thinking about too, and not in a positive or negative light, but you know. If I were just entering this character to kind of begin with and I see Iron Fist and I relate to Iron Fist because I'm like, I see myself there. And then I look back at the history of the books and I'm not saying this is a bad or negative thing and it's a blonde-haired white white dude and I see him interacting with an awesome Chinese character and an awesome Japanese-American character. It's like, well, why can't I see these guys? And it's just – that's not a necessarily a, a positive or negative, but it's just something that I was thinking about too. I, I think based on the way those shows have been cast so far in terms of Fidelity, we've seen those the other supporting characters mm-hmm. be fairly accurate. So I think we can see that. Uh, just briefly to speak, with, uh, Kamala Khan is a new character created with the legacy of the old in the same way that Jon Stewart became the Green Lantern. Roy Thomas, who created Iron Fist, created the Valkyrie, wrote some of the best stories with the Black Panther ever, including addressing racism in South Africa. So it, it now makes it seem like this man who did decades of work long before any of the people who are complaining about his work were even born, it, it, it then tars what he did as being some sort of bigot. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case based on his body of work over a half a century. Right. And I, this is one of the thing. This is one of the things that uh, I think the overall conversation tends to do, tends to do. It, it, it and it's a part of the conversation that always gets under my skin, which is the fact that. I, we don't need to we don't need to tear down necessarily tear down all of what iron fist was in the conversation i'm not talking about and i'm not saying i'm not and i'm not saying that recasting him as a different race would be tearing down iron fist is because that, that's i don't believe that at all of course but in the conversation you need to tear you don't need to tear down everything in order to make the, the point of now and i i completely agree we need the 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 issue of of whitewashing in cinema just if you look in the last 10 years is horrible you know agreed um and i think that gods of egypt came out this past weekend yes right which is obviously one of the most prime examples and you know thank goodness you know one of the something that was you know very well documented and uh yeah but you look at something like the last airbender or you you know um you which is a horrible movie but anyway it doesn't matter or the fact that joseph fines just got cast as michael jackson yeah all this kind of stuff is is utterly ridiculous what yeah you didn't hear about this (laughs) 
my hope and a lot of my reading of Iron Fist comes from um, the, the the series that Fraction and Brubaker mm-hmm. and David Aha did a couple of years ago, which if you haven't read, you got to. It, it's really, really spectacular. But what they did that was really smart was they they addressed this question and they, they, they created a history for the Iron Fist mantle that goes back hundreds of years and is rooted in Chinese history and has female Chinese Iron Fists and male Iron Fists and they're all Chinese. And then what happens... At the turn of the 1900s, when we have Western influence and there's a lot of history in there, you have Orson Randall and, and Danny Rand coming in. And, and they ask these questions and they address these questions about what does this mean and, and is, this, is this real? And I just feel like there's a richness to that conversation and that project of discussing this, – like this conversation that we are having is exactly what the Iron Fist story allows for regardless of what color – Iron Fist is. And I just want to like reiterate that because like I think what's important is that the Iron Fist character, his 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 the question of his race is almost more important than than the race itself, you know? And I know that they went this way and I agree with Stephanie Stephanie on that point that it's like, you know, how much of this is just well, we're going to cast a white actor because that's how we cast and if we look at the kind of staffing of, of the show and who's running it is that a reflection of that um, and 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 how much of it is you know I know that they, they saw Asian American actors and that was exciting for a moment um, f- for this this question but you know how much of it is a, a, a systemic kind of thing and how much of it is a let's ask these tough questions and 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 we won't necessarily know until we have a better sense of how they're running the show mm-hmm. and i know that's kind of a not a very kind of easy thing to think about with a, with a, with a, with a show like this but um i think that the netflix things in particular have been willing to to go to those places i don't i'm not saying they're perfect but i think they've been willing to go to those places about gender and race and I'm for that reason and, and disability with, with, with Matt Murdock too. Um, but you know, there's, I just feel like the, the, this conversation is exactly the kind of conversation that the iron fist mythos and story and character should elicit. Um, it's just, it's just very obvious though, that this kind of, this, this, um, uh, representation, question is is reflective of a larger challenge as well yeah absolutely absolutely seriously if they had made a shang chi tv series and cast dude i would have been like hell yes right but if they had cast this actor who's playing iron fist in that i'd be as up in arms as anybody Mm. right for both reasons it would be a whitewashing and be disrespectful of the history yeah and i i think that i think that the the whole point of this conversation and i want to sort of i think we've all said what we need to say and we're going to start going in loops if we if we Mm -hmm. keep talking about it um the whole point of the conversation is just to say that you know there 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 are two sides to to i think to the discussion about this you know um and and i think both points deserve to be heard and deserve to be said in 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 a intelligent and, and you know cohesive manner um and, and i want that to sort of you know there, there's there emotions are going to get involved but i think in the end at the end of the day the, like joey said it's a conversation that sort of it, it needs to be had and i just hope that you can show people that you can have that conversation 
and and have it in a civil way and not in a way that devolves into 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 screening matches because i think that doesn't help anybody in in anything um and uh you know we'll we'll, we'll see how this all goes and you know uh, we'll see how it develops and uh, i'm sure that we'll be talking about the show as as it gets made and um when it comes out and we'll ha- this conversation will definitely come up again as, as we get into that um but uh let, let's move on from uh from from iron fist um and uh I just want to say really quick that I'll believe it when the cameras roll, but we got an announcement today that officially the Dark Tower movie is happening, what? and yeah. that Idris Elba is playing. We, we kind of knew this was this was this has been talked about for a few months now, but Idris Elba is officially playing Roland Deschain and Matthew McConaughey playing the Man in Black, who is the antagonist of the movie, mm-hmm. which is actual colorblind casting. It's very colorblind casting. It's interesting. It's inter- it's going to be very interesting to see. I mean, um, Stephen King has been tweeting up a storm about it, been talking about it. Uh, very. There's very, an article on the site about it. There is an article on the site about it. Um, we've gotten this far before. Ron Howard yeah. is supposed to make a version of the movie with Javier Bardem as the lead and that was very close to being made and then it got scrapped kind of at the last moment uh-huh. but they said it's about it's a pretty big project to undertake right it is it's very big it's like I mean I don't know how, they haven't fully announced I think the exact plan when they first announced it way back it was going to be four movies and a TV series and the TV series would, would kind of stitch together the in-betweens yes. of what the what movie the was going to be yeah, yeah. Well, we were doing fanboy remix yeah. yes. many years ago it was. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I think that's still sort of the plan now like mini series um, in between the movies, um, but it, it's uh, gonna, it's crazy. I I mean, we we talked about it a bunch of times. It's like my favorite, one of my favorite things in the world. So I'm very excited. Um, I'm excited that it's not Ron Howard. So that yeah. makes me very happy. Uh, Who's directing this time? Uh, can, his name is. He's not a director that I know very well, but he did direct. Um, he's uh, Nikolai Arjlov. He did a Royal Affair. Royal Affair. That's what they did. Oh. So. Um, he's been with the project for a little while now and they've done some rewrites on it and they're going forward. So I'm very curious to see they, they, they announced those two people. And then there's a third, like a, one of the Abby Lee who was in, um, uh, Mad Max, who is playing a character that isn't in the books. So mm. <laughs> we're all kind of, um, we're all kind of as Dark Tower fans, a little, little curious about what's going on with that. Uh, but there is sort of like a Sauron-like character in the Dark t- in the Dark Tower books that doesn't really have like a physical form in which to interact. So the feeling is she's going to gotta be playing the like sort of human proxy mm. of, of, of that character. But hmm. very excited to see how that all shakes out. Mr. King involved in the writing or just overseeing this project, do we think? King? Uh, I, I think he, I mean, I think he's involved, but you know he's he's always sort of like yeah I never really know what's going on like they <laughs> yeah. they tell me and then because there's a bunch of them, like they they put the stand on hold um, but they're going forward with it it's apparently going to be two movies um, and they're shooting it like completely, completely like one all the kids one all the adult stuff and they might cut it together in, oh. in, in post but they're shooting it like two separate movies like that um, mm-hmm. so excited. Very yeah, yeah, totally. Matthew McConaughey as the Man in Black is Perfect. is really, really great. Well, ever since his turn in True Detective season one, <laughs> I was blown away by him in that show, and it really kind of woke me up to his chops. Mm. And then Idris Elba, I mean, come on, yeah, that guy's amazing. He is. He's he's sort of like a uh, a Michael Fassbender type. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Fassbender <laughs> can play anything. No, I was actually really excited when I saw that news uh, earlier. Yeah. Wait, Idris Elba, did you say is a mass Michael Fassbender type? Yeah. Oh, oh they're completely separate entities. I love both of those men. Like, yeah, but they can do anything. 
Yes, that's. But remember what happens when we say stuff like this? It winds up with me photoshopping Michael Fassbender as Wonder Woman. Yes. So like, let's not go there. I know. Could we oh, Photoshop, you know, Idris Elba and Michael Fassbender into one? Into one. We, we, one person. Idris Fassbender. Yes. Nice. <laughs> I think that would be the thing to do. <laughs> I, I don't know how I feel about that. Oh, it could be interesting. <laughs> Have they ever appeared in anything together? Um, oh, my dreams. I don't think so. Oh, oh. let's make that happen. Yeah, make it so. <laughs> make it so. Fired. But they're both doing like really like Michael Fassbender's doing geeky things too. He's like doing the Assassin's Creed movie. He is, and he's very wow. involved. He's producing that too. And I mean, obviously X Men, but like yes, currently coming up. Of course. Oh God! I just had like because Fassbender was Macbeth, and I was like, "What if Idris Elba is Macbeth?" And then I was like, "What if Idris Elba does Othello and Fassbender is Iago?" Yeah, go, yes, I'm there for that. That would be pretty great. Yeah. I would die. That'd be great. English uh. major nerd. I'm like creeping on everyone's like. I'm, I'm trying to find if they have um, any films together. I don't think so. Like, I feel like I would know about this, and I feel like my heart would explode. Like, I, I feel like I would be dead already. Um, but yeah, they have to be in uh, Pacific Rim too. Yeah, right. That's that's gonna happen. That I movie so. is happening. That's legit. They announced something. Yeah, about it, like, yeah. They announced week. a new yeah. director for it, right? Um, yeah, I can't remember who, who it was. Yeah, he stepped away because yeah, he can only you know work on um, eighteen thousand projects. Sorry, like I shouldn't yeah. do that. We're gonna see uh, Fassbender and Idris Elba in all of the uh, James Bond pools. I it's think. True. Yeah. <laughs> For the next five years. Yeah, that's where we're gonna right. see them together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I want to ask on a, a Del Toro question. Mm-hmm. Who's seen Crimson Peak and should I be watching I it? Oh my yes. god, it's my so good. Yes. Okay, you should definitely see it. Maria okay. and I like we recommend we did it like back on um misfits a while ago where we just were talking about like a recommendation and i'm pretty sure it became like 90 percent of the show where we just talked about it but like i maria up until recently she's been sick we miss you maria um she was gonna do like a big huge piece on it Hmm. um yeah like it it's very very interesting and if you get like the blu-ray and stuff there's a lot of really cool stuff about like um the costumes you know like a a lot of people um kind of at face value take um mia wazowska's costumes to just be very beautiful victorian gothic fashion and the costumes themselves whether you realize it or not are actually based on like the designs of like butterflies and stuff like and like the like there's one that uh, what's I forget what the what kind of butterfly it is, but the back that makes the eyes and like it's like a it's predatory a like yeah, um, a, a thing to ward off predators. Mm, interesting. And like one of her dresses is based on that. Oh wow, mm. very. And cool. like there's all kinds of really cool, interesting things. So like um, the art book's really cool if you kind of watch it and you want to get into like more about Crimson Peak. But the movie's like really beautiful and like the whole thing like is just fantastic the story the acting the characters the cinematography it's filmed in canada which is also great <laughs> that helps it's really well done yeah yeah uh, like yeah. there's like that one shot where you first see the crimson peak house and it's just like red everywhere but like set with like this sort of like dark kind of annie Leibovitzy feeling backdrop oh it's so good bob yeah. like if anyone will appreciate it like as much as I do, I feel like it's you. Okay, no, I love Del Toro and mm. just missed that one entirely, and I'm just 
uh, so I'm soliciting. It's really good. It's yeah. absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Um, Steven Estenite is directing uh, the second Pacific Rim movie. He's the guy who did, he was a showrunner for oh. Daredevil season one. Oh, yes. Hey, cool. Um, tying so, it all back in. Yeah, tying it back into comic books. I'm going to go right away from them for a second, though, because, Joey, I know you saw a course line for the first time this weekend. Oh, dude, it was amazing. <laughs> and I've been wanting to talk to you about it since I saw that tweet, so... <laughs> I'd never seen it, and it was Sunday. My friend was doing a chorus line, and I was like, do I want to stay home and watch the Oscars, or do I want to go see the show that I've never seen at Rutgers, at this at this black box theater that I spent a hell of a lot of time at when I was at Rutgers? Um, and I was like, I'm going to go see Chorus Line. And I'd never seen it before. I knew all about it, and I just I loved it. I loved the music. I loved the story. And I really loved kind of going back to – to college and and going back to this place where I spent you know had some really great memories and was a safe place for me um, and uh, watching these kids create and and make art and make a do a show about making art and what that feels like and then I was like this is so cool and so real and so authentic and then I came home and the Oscars were still on and I was like there's a metaphor here about you know about art and about diversity and all of this stuff and I was like so then I stayed up and watched the Oscars and, and hated myself for it but uh um, no I really I really liked it you said that you would you did it I did it in, in college yeah oh my goodness is there a video uh yeah there's a video somewhere oh. <laughs> i don't know if i can i don't know it's probably at my parents house somewhere um yeah but i played the the kid who thinks he has gonorrhea oh that's spectacular <laughs> yeah it was uh it was fun that was one, that's one of my favorite shows one of my favorite shows of all time do very you're a great dancer then yeah i'm an okay dancer we didn't have great dancers at my school <laughs> i want to be very clear about that but we did like do like dancing boot camp we went into like the city to this like dance studio and like uh got like trained on the choreography from like people who were actually in the show wow that's awesome was for someone who's not a dancer that is a very intimidating very tiring (laughs) couple of weeks that i had but yeah i loved it loved loved that show so much um great great show what was your favorite moment joey Oh goodness! And or song, I don't know, whatever. But I just, I, 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 I had. It's funny because I had done uh, Paul's monologue, which mm. is like the the very um, emotional one in Act Two. Yeah. I just there's so many moments, and there's so many moments specifically because I'm like I'm watching 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 year old kids like really do something special, and it was more about that, mm-hmm. and I found myself kind of finding that a little bit more, you know, endearing and and a, and a lot more charming than than you know. Um, then, then even some of the some of the scenes and some of the songs, mm-hmm. I was just like, "This is so remarkable," you yeah. know. And I, and I made it a point to kind of go up and talk to the kids that put together the show. And I was like, "Back in my day, when I was <laughs> here," you know. Um, and I and just to to tell them that they had they'd done a really really wonderful job. And um, you know, that's that's kind of why they do what they do. And and uh, it reminded reminded jaded old me, you know, <laughs> about uh, what what theater is and what art can be. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Now we can go back to talking about comic books. There we go. All right. Um, uh, Steve, I'm going to have you go first here on the lightning round. All right. You have three minutes and go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so it's a thin week for me in terms of my uh, lightning round because I've been traveling, I've been writing, I've been busy. And um, one of the things, though, that I did get to sit down with is uh, Meredith Grand's volume one of Octopus Pie. 
Octopus Pie, it just went away on my iPad, is a story about basically two roommates, uh, Eve Ning and her roommate, who is the pot smoking slash baking uh, culinary artist named Hannah. They were uh, kids. I mean, they were, I'm sorry. They met when they were kids. And they were friends, and then they kind of drifted apart as they each went into their own, you know, social circles and whatever. And then uh, Ning loses her roommate, and the mother basically fills the gap for her and says, Hannah's coming to live with you. It'll be great. Uh, Eve doesn't necessarily feel that way, but what is she going to do? Because she's living in Brooklyn, and everybody knows that you can't survive in Brooklyn without roommates. So, um, I mean, this is yet another kind of slice of life book. It's probably semi-autobiographical in that Meredith probably had a lot of similar experiences um, while living in the city. And it's pretty much about two friends looking from the inside out at like all like the gentrification happening in Brooklyn. Um, Eve works at a like an organics store. Hannah's doing her thing at home. She's got her boyfriend that's constantly sleeping in the bed and on the couch with her and everything. And Eve is trying to still come into her own, even though she's an adult, she doesn't quite feel like it. And this new living situation and these new friends are kind of helping her to grow into herself and get out of out, out of the box that she's been living in for, for quite some time. And uh, it's set up like a comic strip. So in the very beginning of the volume, it's very um, quippy and like, you know, three panel jokes and stuff like that. But you're still getting a like a through line for the story you're still setting up these relationships and you're meeting these people um it's people trying to date in brooklyn favorite places closing down in favor of other businesses lots of poking fun at kind of the hipster community and and things like that um and it's just it's really charming it's really endearing and i love i mean it's like 200 something pages uh in this volume it's it's quite the sizable book so you get a lot of um character growth but at the same time you get character regression as well and like just when you think somebody's making headway and and they're they're kind of letting off a bit of steam and letting their hair down something comes along to kind of make them fall into old ways and you find yourself i found myself kind of arguing with the characters as I was reading through the book in a good way. Sure. Um, but yeah, check it out. It's Octopus Pie, Volume 1. I believe it's from Image, and uh, or was printed, published by Image. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, Meredith Gran. It's it's good. It's really good. What does the title refer to? Uh, I, I, actually, nothing. Oh. There's nothing in the book in regard to Octopus okay, Pie. I read the whole thing. Baker, I thought, you know, she would bake an octopus no. pie. I uh, I picked it up last Wednesday and I sat down when I first got home and uh, I read it from cover to cover without without getting up anywhere. I so. love the art style. Steve's just showing me some of it. It's very uh, I, that cartoony is just too too light. It is very open in the panels, but they're so balanced. The panels yeah. themselves are balanced so well. There's a lot of art stuff going on there in what seems very simple. I love that the the, the cat, uh, Ning's cat, is actually reminiscent of um, some of the cats that show up in Hinges, which is one of the other books that she helped out in. And it's kind of, it's cool to see the kind of like the the, the evolution or the genesis of, a, of an artist and a writer where she's been collecting this and doing this for a number of years. Mm -hmm. And you can see her kind of learning how to be a creator as you go farther and farther 
in the book. There's even like some art style changes and stuff throughout the book, which I actually like the original art a little bit better. But, you know, talent evolves. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so, you know, you either evolve with the book or you don't. Um, I really hope that they put together a volume two. It was uh, it was great. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Octopus pie. Octopus pie. Volume one. It's delicious. Okay. <laughs> Octopus pie a la right. mode. Ooh. You know, I'll just take the a la mode part. I don't really want the octopus okay. pie. I went to CP Lomano's with my family. You know that place in Miller Place? What place? CP Lomano's? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to CP Lomano's and I had a very Bart Simpson moment where he goes to that place with his family, the one where Homer's dancing with the, and he orders the octopus extra tentacle. Somebody across from us ordered like the squid or the mm. octopus or something. And little me, who has always and still does hate seafood, somebody ordered like a giant plate and there were all these arms and it sounds delicious. tentacles. Oh, oh my yeah. God. Oh, yeah. Really good. I cried. Sounds really good. I cried. Really? Yeah. I was. That's, that's yes. the best part of the Galamars. Yeah. The most exotic things I think oh, I've ever eaten yeah. are mako shark and alligator. Yeah, I've eaten shark before, not alligator. Alligator is uh, very chickeny, especially when you fry it. Mm. You ever tried chicken feet? No. No. Mm, that's like, mm, talking about being Chinese. Mm, chicken feet. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. What does it taste like? Is it salty? No, it depends on the sauce you put on it. To mm. be to be honest, do you chew on it the nails? It just tastes like you know cartilage, whatever. Mm. Oh, I have a lot of mental blocks with like stuff like that. <laughs> like <laughs> not e like not even like that. I think it will taste bad. I just if it looks like a foot, <laughs> I'm gonna have a trouble eating it. How do you, you know feel what I mean? about roast pig? Like when somebody invites you to a luau. Uh, it's just there. It's just like uh, I don't mind it so much. I've, I've been to a couple where they've yeah. done that stuff before. I mean, it's a little bit weird for me, but like, so as long good. as I'm not having to eat like the head or, or the, the snout or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I can deal it's with it. It's a foot thing. It's a foot thing. It's not just a foot thing. It's also I like when I also can't eat anything that has the word liver in it for whatever reason. Oh. It's just I know that a lot of it is delicious, but I can't eat chicken livers. I can't eat Pate. liver worst. Uh, you what know, about tongue. No, I had uh, tongue tacos great once. Oh, it's terrible! Really? I had what? The tongue tacos. Oh, awful. Mm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It just I I'm sure that these things taste good, but there's like that mental block where yeah. I'm like I I can't. Yeah. I just can't do it. Um, talking comics. I'll take you guys to dim sum one day. It'll be great. Yeah, yeah that sounds I'm great. For that. Yeah, yeah that we're, we're in for totally. that. <laughs> that sounds awesome. All right, um, Stephanie. You. I'm gonna put three minutes on this clock here. All right, you do that. And then Bobby. you're going to talk. All right, and <laughs> go. That. All right, so uh, I meant to talk about this a couple weeks back, um, but I read the first issue of Deja Thoris um, by Frank uh, Barbieri and um, Francesco Mana. Uh, so there's a really cool cover by Tula Lote, who is just freaking awesome if you aren't somehow familiar with her work at this point. Um, that being said, I was really looking forward to this book um, as – a way to kind of jump on to the uh, John Carter uh, of Mars kind of shenanigans outside of like the movie and all this stuff. And I really wanted to love this book and I really wanted to enjoy this character. And I didn't mm. like, I, I just kind of want to address it because I was hoping that with this relaunch, you know, between like Red Sonia, um, Kate Lath on Vampirella and this, that this would be a good way, a good revamp of the series. Mm -hmm. um, and Frank Bar J. Barbieri is a writer that I like. 
And I kind of felt like he was trying too hard to write like Gail Simone, like sexy versus sexualized. And I don't know, it really fell short. Like I just felt like it was not there. Like she felt like a bimbo to me. And I can get past the art, you know, I think Red Sonia has proven that you can have a scantily clad character be written well if you have the story to back it up and you kind of just forget about all of that. But like, I was just so disappointed with this. And Bob, I want to talk with you about this after uh, if we can. But yeah, um, I also got a chance to read Bombshells, which was like the polar opposite of this. It was pinup characters. Um fighting Nazis and all kinds of other stuff in World War II alternate dimensions and the sexy characters, but totally badass. They are just so freaking awesome. And I sat down and tore through the whole um, first volume, which is out um, today, which is nine issues um, with art kind of varying all over the place, but Marguerite uh, Savage... And um, Ted Nafee do uh, a couple of the issues. It was so awesome. And I enjoyed the crap out of it. And I'd read the first issue and knew I needed to come back to it. Um, but maybe just listen to Bob. <laughs> um, but I, I just thought it was outstanding. And um, last but not least, I read Alias Volume 2, um, uh, a.k.a. Jessica Jones, um, which was I mean, it was great. It wasn't as good as the first volume to me. Like, it really dropped off in terms of quality. But I thought that the story was still really solid, tackled a lot of issues, and was generally just really cool. So I'm I'm going to keep up with it because I want to see The Purple Man in comic form with mm. Jessica Jones. All right. Now, I Bombshells has been just stupendous from moment one. Mm-hmm. And... Just what you're saying, I am very disappointed to hear about Deja Thoris. I was really hoping that Gail Simone sort of overseeing changeovers here with these characters. Her Red Sonia really accomplished that. She didn't always wander around in that bikini. She was very often fully clothed Mm. with furs and the whole thing. Occasionally still go the classic route. And she was very much in charge of her own sexuality, her own violence, her own decisions. So that in and itself is very sexy. Mm-hmm. It's and, it's mine to own, give away, keep, mm-hmm. do what I want. Yeah, that that was beautiful, and you'd hope with Deja, you'd have that here. And it's not even that it's necessarily overly sexualized. I mean, by nature, a character in a bikini running around fighting things is over sexualized. Right. Period. Like so, Red Sonia was automatically like red flagged for that. But like that being said, again, you know, you can overlook these things with a good story. Um, or at least respectful art to kind of compensate. Mm-hmm. And it's not that she's overly sexualized in the book, but like it's like Kelly Sue kind of talks about constantly where it's like, I think guys tend to overthink it. Like it's like, how can I write a strong female character? Yeah. <laughs> I need to do this. And like she just, and and, and I realize um, to an extent her, the way she speaks and, um, Uh, the dialogue is part of her kind of just being alien and um, that sort of thing. But it just felt stiff. Like it didn't feel like I wound up skimming like a lot of it because I was just like, I can't read this. Like Mm. 
I I'm not enjoying this. It I, I got to the end of the first issue and was just like, I have no desire to carry on with this. And I, I don't mean to highlight bad things, but I feel like it's a really interesting comparison for this versus Red Sonia, who are very similar characters, but one's on Mars and one's, you know, on a sort of Earth. <laughs> um, they're They're very similar, but, you know, very different at the same time. And they're both capable of being written well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, again, I don't want to put negativity towards this series, but I just think it's important, again, to highlight that things could be better with these characters. You don't have to, like, completely change their costumes to make them good characters. You just need to write them like they're people. And yeah. I realize, again, she's an alien, mm-hmm. but, like, you know. Don't, don't take me so literally. Well, yeah. I mean, it's still got to be a, a character yeah. you can identify with or it doesn't matter. Or where. You, or, yeah. you didn't get around to reading it, though, Bob? I, I thought maybe no. you had. No, I've never been a huge fan of that comic, more for the way Dynamite portrayed the covers. And I really gave it some thought and looked at it, and it still looked to be a little out of my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. I have very high hopes for Vampirella mm. today. Did uh, you see the Sarah Richard cover for the Deja Torres? Seen that one. I love the Nicola Scott cover. She did the redesign of her costume, actually, of yeah, all the costumes. Yeah, yeah. And I think Kate Leth is going to kill this. Mm-hmm. You know, no pun yeah. intended. Yeah, which is also out today, by the way, for yes. anyone who is interested. But I'm, I'm very interested if either of you or any of you want to check out um, this and then Red Sonia and Kate Leth's Vampirella. I'm very interested to kind of break down three characters who are and have been scantily clad pretty much always and you know how they wind up being portrayed in their launch their number one reboot series yeah i mean i'll read i'll, I'll read them that could be a good show topic yeah absolutely because I, I i i mean obviously we've talked about red sonia at length mm-hmm. but i think um i i'm interested to hear what you guys think of deja thoris mm-hmm. and i only have a very limited knowledge i have read like very small bits of john carter comic stuff mm. and again the movie but bob i know like you at least know a little bit more about her and i'm, I'm interested i want to know what you think of it all right see if they have one in the store tomorrow if not we have our yes i'll look at it on the app yeah um cool cool all right thank you steph sorry that was a very roundabout hijacking of my lightning round that's but right. that's right i i think that dynamite is capable like they're really trying to not be xenoscope mm-hmm. and they're trying i mean they're they're still like on that like they they have a fine line where they're just like some of these things are going to be like ah look at all the boobs mm-hmm. and then other <laughs> right. things where they're like let's do a really respectful Red Sonia. Yes. What was my complaint all those months ago about Miss Fury, where Chris Roberson in Masks was doing a great job with all those pulp characters and her particularly, and then they did a solo series that was not good. Oh, my God, Bob. Did you see, I think it's Tula again. Did you see Tula Lotte's Miss Fury cover? No, it's it's magnificent. Some of the other art seems a little too violent for (laughs) my tastes and the the storyline. Like the one that came out like two days ago? Yeah, and the storyline okay. is way off base. Uh, someone sent me the, or actually they posted, mm-hmm. you know, a link to the art, and you go to the the dynamite page and you, you look at the artwork, and it's like, oh, I don't know, I didn't mm-hmm. know she was a marine engineer and 
kicking people in the head and all that. And then you look, scroll down in the comments. Who's commenting? Trina. <laughs> Trina Robbins is commenting like, no, this That's is really not funny. This is not how this character is. <laughs> That's really funny. All right. Joey, you ready here? Yeah. For some lightning round business? Yeah. You've got three what? minutes and go. Okay, so uh, last week I read Faith Number Two just to kind of continue on with that series for an issue. Um, again, the the creative team behind that is Jody Hauser on writing, Francis Portella on art, with some dream sequence by Marguerite Sauvage. Um, <laughs> we have Andrew Dalhouse on colors and Dave Sharp on letters. Um, very different tonally than issue number one, which uh, we we did talk about. Things get real here. Um, the first issue ended in this kind of crazy cliffhanger. Number two takes a um, decidedly more reflective tone as Faith kind of negotiates those actions and and her uh, feeling overwhelmed and kind of sense of guilt following the the events of, of issue number one. Very dark, um, very real, especially in comparison to the first issue, which was lighter in tone. Um, I love, love, love the character and the story. Um, I just can't get behind the artwork. Uh, I like my art a little bit more quirkier, which is why when those Marguerite Sauvage panels come in, I'm like, ah, I wish this was the whole book. But um, I, I, I'm sure people are totally cool with the realism of it, in which case Faith is, is definitely a, a series to check out. Um, I also picked up uh, Volume 3, Act 3 of, of The Fade Out. Uh, Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips, Colors by Betty just a dream team and i didn't know it was the 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 end of it i i blasted through uh act one and act two and i picked up act three when i saw it at the shop and i read through it and about issue three or four in that volume i was like wait a minute this is gonna end soon <laughs> and then it did and i was upset but it ends in kind of classic brubaker phillips fashion for those of you that have read criminal very subversive very interesting it's just a really great book, and, and now that it's kind of done, uh, definitely worth checking out in its entirety. Uh, it's just three three books from Image. Uh, really, really cool. Um, I also picked up uh, Kid Eternity from Vertigo. They released the deluxe edition a few, uh, a few months ago, back in December. It's from 1991. Uh, Grant Morrison, early Grant Morrison, art by Duncan Figueredo. Uh, with letters by Gaspar Saladino. Um, it's a three-issue miniseries. The character is originally from the 40s by Otto Binder. Um, it's a total trip. I still have no idea what happens <laughs> in the damn book. Like, I couldn't tell you. Could not. It's so crazy. Um, but it reminded me a lot of, like, the Winter Soldier book that Alesh Khan and Marco Rudy did, both visu visually and kind of in terms of the surrealism of it. Like I said, no idea what happens in the book. It's cool. It's real. It's weird. Kind of read early Morrison and kind of feel those sentiments and kind of see where those kind of proto versions of some of his ideas come from. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, really cool. Three, three uh, very different books for the lightning round this time. Look at that. Time. Is that it? Look, yeah. Yeah. Boom. yeah Boom. Joey. Nice Look job. Nice job, Joey. Nailed it. All right. Kid Eternity, huh? Kid Eternity. Yeah, Kid I actually, Eternity. I think I bought the originals from Rob back in the day, mm. and um, I'm glad to hear you say that the fade out uh, ended well. I remember reading the first arc, and um, which one do you, which arc was the most exciting for you? Two. Okay. I found one to be a little slow in 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 terms of of setting things up, and I wasn't sure as to whether or not I should continue to read it. But you're saying I should go back. 
yeah, one one is a lot of setup, but two, like the the places that they go, and I've been reading Brubaker and Phillips for a whole a very long time, so I I kind of know that if there's anything that they'll cover, they'll they'll hit it, you know, and right. and Act Two of Fade Out really just like goes to some really dark places, um, and to some really interesting places, um, all the while in this like 1940s Hollywood setting, which is cool. Act up everything pretty nicely but in a very noir fashion if you're looking mm-hmm. for a happy or a tragic ending you're going to get something a little bit different uh which is kind of why that team is is so good they're really great storytellers all right then all right great mm. all right bob okie dokie you have three minutes and go to get it out of the way all new all different avengers number six does manage to hit some interesting notes although they might be better situated within the pages of thor interestingly as there's some seeds laid that may spell some trouble for the goddess of thunder as to this issue much like the first five okay nothing special and i'll tell you my feelings seem to be common as out of seven letters published in this issue three were positive and four were negative which good on marvel in publishing negative letters hmm. Uh, there's an event coming, and this may end up being my last issue of this, something I couldn't have predicted. Are you done with your pre-orders? Yeah. With uh, Mark Waite at the helm, and I'm out, I I think. Yeah. Too bad. In in happier news, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur Number 5 by Amy Reader, Brandon Montclair, and Natasha Bustos is just a boatload of fun. Uh, Lunel Lafayette encounters the totally awesome Hulk, who manages to pick a fight with Devil Dinosaur, which involves much harassment and fighting uh-huh. and the time tossed killer folk have a run-in with some old friends of the ever-loving blue-eyed thing you'll have to read it to find out another book in the midst of time traveling shenanigans is the unbeatable squirrel girl now this fifth issue concludes the dr doom storyline or does it <laughs> see there's there's a post-credit sequence you, you need to stay through for Anyway, Ryan North and Erica Henderson actually explain all the timey-wimey stuff that's been going on, which is pretty difficult considering we have the senior citizen version of Squirrel Girl <laughs> wandering around on top of everything else. And she, at this point, she's the barely beatable Squirrel Girl because she did lose once to Doctor Doom, which is what caused all this to happen at, at some level. Oh, wow. uh, so their efforts to explain this are certainly appreciated. And if, if this ends this arc, we're going to move forward, but... If you haven't been buying it from between Steffi and I and all of us talking about Squirrel Girl, you need to buy that. Then, without me spoiling everything, because I know people are in the midst of reading this, uh, Sunstone Number 4 is out, and it is beautifully written and drawn. It, it does seem that Mr. Shayich's shoulder woes have not affected the quality of the art in this book, which is just absolutely stunning. There are some interesting twists and turns, and I'll leave it at that. Uh-oh. Now, I think I do have some time. You do, you have 40 seconds. Bob. I have 40 whole seconds. Uh, we're talking about light weeks. I have a very light week coming, though I'm a couple of extras on the sides I may pick up. But I can predict that next week I may be talking about Gull Girl. That's all I'm going to say. <gasps> Everything's wow. right in the world. Right. True Patriot comes out in this country today. Mm-hmm. Wow. So get some superhero girl, some gull girl, and a whole bunch of good stuff. So thank you, Stephanie, for pointing that book out to me. I'm so happy. (laughs) Um. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Um, All right. I'll throw my my, my three minutes on the clock here. Um, Here we go. Um, All right. So um, saga number 34. 
another another really solid issue. I think it was uh, better than than the last one, um, and had some returning characters who I, I was very excited about. Continues to be wonderful, um, and we're starting to develop areas and characters that we haven't developed before which is all i'm, I'm gonna say uh cry havoc number two which i absolutely uh, loved again the first issue w- was was pretty wonderful and the second issue i think was was just as solid uh i i love the, the look of the book I, I think that the the different time periods holds up once again and i, I will say again the idea of sort of color coding each one really makes the book so easy to follow and, and makes it weaving in and out of these different sort of areas and narratives uh a, a complete and utter breeze which is great because there's a lot to take in in, in the story absolutely love it um uh black magic number five which ends the first arc of, of black magic so good. i was really sad to see how long it's going to be until the next yes. issue and issue six comes out um how long but issue five i have to look uh it's a couple months though no, the trade uh, is april the trade is april i think it's like ne- july next, next move yeah it's june or july june or yeah. july for the next issue um wrapped up this arc very very well um love the story of rowan oh, black yeah. um love love where it's all going and uh, there was sort of a more of a um uh, going into more of who sort of the op- opposing faction mm-hmm. is and I-, I loved that they weren't exactly who you thought they were or they, their motivation wasn't exactly what you thought it probably would be. Mm-hmm. Um, just deepens the world and leaves us off on a, a nice cliffhanger to bring us into the, the when the next arc starts in, in, in July. Just a, a, just a fantastic series. And uh, just a really funny um, anecdote. I read Justice League number 48 and I'm in the middle of reading it and I said to myself, I don't think I read Justice League number 47 <laughs> <laughs> because I was reading it and all of this crazy, they're talking about all this crazy stuff and I was like, I would remember that. I know it's been coming out like sort of sporadically, but this is stuff I would definitely remember. I don't think I read 47, finished 48, and then went back and looked at my comicsology purchase history. Didn't, definitely didn't buy issue 47. That happened with me with Nailbiter. <laughs> I was reading and there was this big reveal and I'm going, how did we get here? And then I looked and I went, oh. I've, I've done that so, like, because I, I, I'm going back through like a lot of this stuff, like Silk and Spider-Woman that I haven't, gotten around to finishing before they relaunched it mm-hmm. and i'm like so lost and i'm like wow has it been this long like i feel like i really enjoyed those like i feel like i absorbed those <laughs> and then i'm like oh it just turns out like not just one issue i'm like oh i'm on issue like four I'm, like skipping over to like issue like seven i'm like okay um i i have all the numbers and stuff mixed up but like yeah i was like mm, yeah, I'm spoiling some things for myself. Yeah, yes. I, I definitely have the same. Like literally half the story. The same thing I feel like is there was literally one character who the last time I remember him was one way completely, and then this time a totally different way. And I was like, "There's no way this happened off screen." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I obviously missed something. They're just like while you were away. Yes. And you're like, what the shit? Yeah. Uh, it's just like at the beginning, like where it's all summed up. They were like. By the way, yeah, yeah. this big thing happened. Spoilers. Um, it was great. We didn't tell you about it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, subscribe to our Patreon to find out more about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was uh, it, it was still a great issue. Jason Fabook and uh, Jeff Johns doing great great work still on that book. Um, really excited to see how that wraps up um, before we, we 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 they relaunch this whole thing all over again. So yeah, but that's it. That's my those are the books that I read. I did a lot of. 
a lot of movie watching this week to get ready for the Oscars. What'd you do Oscar night? I went to Brian's in Hartford. Brian Riverosa hosts oh. Talking Movies. Actually, this week I'm on Talking Movies if you want to listen to that oh. little, little Oscar podcast. Who won the Oscar poll? poll. Karen. Really? Wow. Yep. <laughs> Did wow! Anybody well, pull spotlight for best picture? Nobody pulled spotlight for best that was, picture. That was a surprise. Everything I, else, I was. I like, actually solid. would have picked that because <laughs> it was like the only one out of those that I've seen, outside of Mad Max. What was Karen? Which was like definitely not winning. Right. Okay. What was Karen's big upset get? She was the only one who put Mark Rylance it's for best supporting actor instead of Sylvester Stallone. I have a theory that anytime Mark Rylance is nominated, he's gonna win. He's a he's like a really big theater actor, right? There Jerry? was a year ago at the Tonys where it was like he was in a category for a play, and like three of his co-actors from that same play were in that category, and I was like, <laughs> it sucks for those guys. <laughs> Mark Rylance is taking that home. Um, it was one of the things too. I, I kicked myself because on like Thursday or something, I was talking with Brian, and there's a lot of ways you can sort of peer into what the Oscars might do. There's all the guilds that go along with yep. all the awards. So you can usually kind of tell um, it's not 100% except for the director award, which is like always yeah, almost, yeah. Uh, I think once in the last 60 years, the director's guild and the Oscar have gone to different people. But mm. um, I was saying like, oh, you know, Sylvester Stallone didn't win the SAG. He wasn't even the Screen Actors Guild Award. He wasn't even nominated for the SAG. Oh. I was like, I don't even think the actors are really behind him uh, on this thing. And they're the biggest voting body in yep. the in the Academy. Uh, and, and I said that, and then still on the night, I was like, I, I, I just feel like I gotta pick him. I, I feel like he's gonna do it. And Mark Ryland ended up winning. And the other thing she got too was uh, the Ex Machina win for uh, best visual effects. That movie's so good. That was very I was good. That. Yeah. 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 Great movie. But there was not no one like no one had picked picked that. So that's why she won. Nobody got best picture um, in, in our pool. That was the one shock I, I felt, yeah. It was a pretty big shock. Um, great movie, though. It's a really great movie. It's, I gotta see it. I gotta see it. It's a really I just got to last time I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. Which movie? Uh, Spotlight. Oh, I watched that. That was what I would like to now refer to as my bummer weekend, <laughs> where I watched like Spotlight, Amy, Room, Oof. and something else that was oh, like, like, yeah, but that was like all one night, Joey. Yeah. Like, I was like, by Sunday, I'm like, so if I slip my wrists, you can blame Hollywood. Yeah, I watched Spotlight and Room on two, on the on two nights right together. Um, room room was amazing. Amazing. Oh, it's but, amazing. And like I, Room, I know people are like probably rolling their eyes. They're like, we don't want to hear about the Oscars. Yeah, but, we don't hear about any movies. Yeah. Um, like I, I read the book Room uh, when it came out, and I had like a lot of issues with it because like it's it's a really cool book, but like most of it's from Jack's perspective, and like he's like three. Mm. Um, and so he baby talks a lot because mm. he doesn't know any better because he's a child. Right, right, right. Um, but like, and everyone's like, wow, so brave. This is great. And mm. I'm like, this is literally like reading something my like cousin wrote and he's not a good writer. <laughs> um, and like this, and not to take away from the story, it is a very great story. Yeah. But like the way it was told was both unique that it drew attention to the book for how it was told, mm. but it was also really hard for me to kind of enjoy. Right, yeah. And I thought that this was, we're actually going to be talking about this on Misfits next week. We're going to be discussing adaptations, and this mm. is on my list as probably one of the best book-to-movie adaptations that I've seen because of how they chose to um, put it together. Yeah, she wrote the screenplay. Too, yeah. yeah yeah and yeah, pretty i really enjoy that they give you insight in, and, and this isn't a spoiler mm -hmm. but like they give you insight into his head like what he's thinking how yeah. he's kind of 
processing the fact that he lives in this room and that's all he knows, but it's not the whole movie. Yeah. And I thought it was a really, Brie Larson is just, she's great. That kid though, Jacob Tremblay is amazing. That kid blew me away in that movie. It's, I was very hesitant to watch it because it's obviously when you hear the description of it, you're like, this is going to be, like the most depressing movie I've ever mm-hmm. seen in my life. And in some ways it is very depressing and very hard to watch, but there, there is an aspect to it that in the end is I think uplifting. Um, and I, I think it's a necessary movie. Mm-hmm. And as is spotlight, I think spotlight is, 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 is a, is a genius, a genius movie, but let's, well, let's, sorry, Bob, go ahead. Speaking of adaptations, sorry. <laughs> did anyone see the two pictures that shared the Razzie award for the worst motion picture of the year? I know one was oh, fantastic. No. Four, right. One? Fantastic Four and Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, really? Shared, oh, the, shared the award. <laughs> and the Fantastic Four did win the worst ensemble cast, I believe. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Oh, well, yeah, that's a bummer. Those kids all mean well. <laughs> <laughs> Those crazy kids. You, you know, the one thing, <laughs> I want to get something about the Oscars. The one thing, the one award that I always have to believe this is bullshit was when that horrible James Bond song yes. won Best Song. Yes. That song is horrible. <laughs> That song is horrible. I, I saw like one tweet where they were like, I'd like the song better if it was by Adele. <laughs> yeah, that could have helped. Oh my God, uh, it's such a bad song. And you knew, you could tell the Oscars thought that Lady Gaga song was going to win because yeah. they really did what, that performance. Yeah. And you know what? Like she, for whether you like her or not, like I, I enjoy her music. Um, I, I used to kind of just enjoy her music as like, I love pop music, like, mm-hmm. especially when I need something like bubbly to kind of enjoy and listen to, especially at the gym. And then she like won me over like completely as a like legit artist mm-hmm. when she did that Sound of Music number. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. what was that last? Was that last Oscars? Last, last Oscars, Oscars. Yeah, last like, Oscars. I liked her. And then I was just like, whoa. Mm-hmm. Girl, like if anyone ever questions if you can sing, like mic drop this, like killed it mm. yeah she's uh she's got a great voice and uh yeah so that was the only thing because everybody at the party was like what yeah. oh yeah and then the stacy dash thing the yeah really that was weird i mean i don't want to get into the whole like yeah. Oh, no no yeah no i just mean like why are you there stacy it was dash? a really what? weird thing yeah. and it was a bit that didn't really land very well either but um, but yeah. Yeah. yeah let's move on from the oscars um uh steve we're gonna lead off we'll lead off with you for for talking about more yeah, in depth about stuff. yes um because speaking of stuff that makes you uh very sad um uh, you you read the first book of one of those kind of must-read graphic novels. Yes, Mouse. Yes. Um, pretty much. Let me let me just let me just preface my uh, my contribution with uh, if you're if you're you're bothered by talk of of the Holocaust or or anything of that sort, uh, you might want to tune out for the next couple of minutes because things might get emotional and heated as I talk okay. about this book. Okay, you don't get to tune out the Holocaust. That thing happens. <laughs> I'm not tuning out the Holocaust. It's a trigger warning. I'm just, yeah, it's, it's a trigger warning. It's a trigger, trigger warning. warning. I'm offering, I'm yeah, offering people. Absolutely. To... I know, I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I'm She's messing. being snarky. Before you, um, before you get into like, you know, what you thought about the book, what yeah. is the book about? The book is about um, Art Spiegelman, who is a comic book creator, uh, Visiting his father, who is a Holocaust survivor, both um, Art's father and mother are both Holocaust survivors, and he has chosen to tell his father's story. Mm. And so what you have here, at least in book one that I've seen, is a series of visits of Art talking uh, to his father. His name is Vladek. 
and uh, his father is recanting the days leading up to the war uh, into him being put into the, the, the camps and all the struggle and all of the things that they had to go through during, you know, Hitler's rule and, and all of those things, um, the crumbling of Europe and, and, and everything like that. Um, and what you have is a, you know, kind of a, and he even makes men, um, art makes mention to it in the book. Cause he is a character. He's, uh, he's having a conversation with, uh, who's essentially his stepmother, uh, at this point in the book. And he's saying how he feels awful about writing his father as kind of like a cantankerous, Jewish old man, misery old man, but that's that's who he is. And part of the reason for him being that way is because in order to survive, you kind of had to adapt to that way of life and that, that way of thinking that everything that you had mattered. Mm-hmm. You know, every every crumb of bread and every every slice of cheese and every valuable that you had, any kind of jewels, any rings, any gold, any watches, anything that you could stash to be to be bartered with for your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that's where I mean, that's what where the book is now. It is a two part series. Um, I borrowed this collection um, from my friends, Jill and Pete. And um, like in all seriousness, when we started doing this podcast and I, I started really looking at, at comics in a different way, this is one of those things that I've seen everywhere throughout the years and have always wanted to read, but never really, um, not that I didn't feel like I could handle it because quite frankly, and not to, not to make this sound weird or anything, I am fascinated by this stuff. Um, there are certain subjects throughout like history class and school. Um, usually the most terrible parts of our history, specifically American history are the ones where I pay the most attention because I just, I cannot abide by the, the, the mon, the monstro, like the, the monsters of, of people throughout our, our human history that have existed and have had the influence that they've had, that they've condemned entire races of people to to death and to misery, um, whether it be through slavery, whether it be through the Holocaust, whatever, um, strikes a chord with me. And and while it sickens me, it also fascinates me. It fascinates me at the same time. Mm-hmm. So um, I picked up Mouse, and uh, like I said, I, I finished book one, and man, um, it is a powerful book. Mm. You know, this book appearing on a list, you said it was one of the one of the top 100 comic books you need to read before yes. you die or something like that. Yep. Yeah. I mean, if you can handle it, Mouse is absolutely something that that should be read. And uh, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I everybody knows about the Holocaust. We've learned about it in school. We went to we went to the Holocaust Museum, um, I think, in 11th grade. As part of a as part of a school trip, and you know, we walked the halls, we saw the piles of shoes, and all the all the really you know terrible terrible things. But to read something like Mouse, it just it just stokes the fire, right? Like you 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 feel for it all over again, and and because it's happening in in this format, I'm possibly paying even more attention. Because I'm being stimulated by the story as well as the visuals. Um, it's a black and white graphic novel, um, and all of the characters—they are—they're—they're they're hu- they're humanistic, but they're—they're they're anthropomorphized um, mice and 
pigs and uh, cats, like the, the Gestapo, they're cats. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the natural enemy of the mice. And um, it really works well for the story in kind of this almost like animal farm kind of way mm-hmm. where you're reading a story about barnyard animals, but it's uh, it's about humans mm-hmm. and the way that we treat one another. Um, so the appearance of the book almost kind of softens the subject matter ever so slightly. I mean, it's not cutesy in any way, but it's perhaps a bit more pleasant and the violence isn't as startling as it would be if it was, uh, if, if it were human characters and I'll, I'll get to why that is in, in just a minute. But, um, I mean, the struggle of, of these people and, and of, of these mice and, and what, uh, what Vladek himself and uh, his wife's name at the time was Anja, and his um, his he remarries uh, to a woman named Mala, who is completely she can't take Vladek like the the person that he's become uh, doesn't know why she married him. He's very miserly. He is insistent on fixing everything himself, even though he's too old to do so. Um, won't spend a penny but will like take the napkins from the local diner and stuff them in like their, you know, napkin holder and, but won't give her money to go and, you know, buy X, Y, and Z, Mm -hmm. get her hair done, things like that. And um, Art kind of, as he's doing these visits and he gets involved in these arguments between this married couple, he kind of stays on the outside because he knows that if he gets too close to it, it's just gonna, he's gonna wind up in the middle and he knows, he knows his father. And he knows that he he his business is his business. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a really kind of interesting relationship that the three of them share in this book one. But um, I mean, in terms of the story, you listen to Vladek tell the whole thing from from beginning to end, or at least from where I am, from the beginning to kind of like the war ramping up and Hitler coming into Europe and things changing and the raising the level of fear for these characters as the pages go on. And there's a lot of content here and it's, and it's story and it's all, you're constantly reminded that you're not reading fiction. Mm-hmm. You know, you're reading somebody's memoirs set to, you yeah. know, a comic book story. And um, I mean, you hear things about having to go from job to job and setting up like establishing a business to, to feed your family and then having the, the Gestapo come in and take it from you and take your livelihood and and kill your people having to hide in bunkers having to build um like housing beneath dumpsters mm-hmm. and how the the weight and the the boiling of the garbage in the summer days is like is what keeps you heated at night during the winter you know um how the elderly anybody over 70 was tricked into going to the gas chambers. Um, the apartments were overcrowded beyond belief, and entire neighbors were were taking people in for bribes and hiding them in their attics and in their wine cellars and creating false walls and, and, and false doors and just all of these things to kind of help the people and help people that they knew and were friendly with during this change, but also profit from them uh, at the same time. And so you know that they're helping, but it also feels a little dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, you hear these horrible stories about the about the German prisons and how 
there were people in the night that were were pushing the bars out of these places just so that they can jump from them and commit suicide. There's uh, a part in the book where they're all everybody's being led into a stadium while the Jews are in a stadium and they're being separated, you know, male, female, children, elderly, so on and so forth. And the children that were somewhere two and three years old that weren't cooperating and were crying for their parents, rather than like try to calm them or do anything, they just picked them up by their arms and legs and threw them against brick walls until they died. Mm. Like this is how they solved these problems back then. And um, I mean, it's all in this book. It's all told as as expertly and as precise uh, as possible. I'm probably using the wrong adjectives mm. to describe it. Um, it just, it gets it gets right in there. Mm -hmm. Like it gets to your core and it, it, it reminds you of just the, the horrible shit mm. that has like befallen our, our race and the mm -hmm. things that we've done to our very own people mm -hmm. throughout history. And I mean, I know that there are many things and even things today that are happening all around us that are absolutely terrible, but I mean, this is just such an, such an incredible recap of that stuff and i mean as as much as it as it's painful to read at times i'm really excited to go to book two and finish the story and find out how vladek survived mm -hmm. and and you know what what's left for him to go through that he hasn't gone through already that i've already read right i mean you're talking like 128 pages of somebody's heroism and, and somebody's story of going through this beyond tragic mm -hmm a part of our history and coming out the other side, not only alive, but smarter, mm -hmm. you know, and I don't fault him for him being ornery mm -hmm. and for not trusting people and for being miserly. If, if you, if all you had to, to survive and to bribe people with was like your grandfather's gold watch that you hid inside of a chimney mm -hmm. for years and you had to wait uh, days without food just to walk back under the cloak of night to break into a house and sift through all the ashes just so you would have money for bread. That's just, yeah, blows my mind. Yeah. yeah. So I don't, Bob, if you wanted to jump yeah, in. That's you haven't read it, right, Bob? No, I haven't read, read it either. Joey, you have, right? Oh yes, yes. Yeah. I actually read Mouse and Mouse Two in a in a class at Rutgers alongside Fun Home by Alison Bechdel. Oh wow, mm -hmm. that was that was an intense couple of months. Yeah, um, yeah, just a couple of things. You know, I, I think you did a good job of kind of explicating the the importance of books like Mouse. You know, mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned we've we've learned about this, but we've learned about this because we live in a region where. It's part of our history, and and we actually have laws in New York and New Jersey uh, requiring explicitly that that Holocaust education occurs. And in I think there's only four states in the United States that that have that explicit language. So books like Mouse are trying to reveal things to 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 the people in this country that you know might not might not know about that, you know, mm. and do it in a way like you said that is that captures. Uh, what occurred, but 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 tells it in in some in, in a gripping gripping way. Um, Mouse two is, if you can believe it, just even a little bit more intense because what you start to get is um, is a little bit more themes of guilt, and not just mm -hmm. not just for Vladek, but but for art 
too, in the sense of I, it's, I think it's the opening page where um, of, of Mouse Two, where he he talks about the guilt of writing Vladek's story. Yeah, and you mentioned that in Mouse One, but but the imagery that he gives you on those first few pages, and and the, the guilt that he feels about you know should I be telling this story? Is this a story that that we need to tell? And mm-hmm. and how that carries through Mouse Two is is just yeah. astounding. Um, it's it's really fantastic, and it's kind of like you said top 100 books comic books to read before you die i think yeah. i think you it's a book like you have to read it right. regardless you yeah. know it's just so expertly done and 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 it's not it's not nice it's not a nice book you know no, it, and it doesn't treat it with kind of um it doesn't treat it the way that you would think um it's it's really really well done um, yeah, I mean, you you mentioned that the the guilt and stuff like that, and and even from art side. Not to, I won't spoil the final page, but you've read it, you know, the the very last panel of book one stings. Yeah, really, really, you you almost for just for just a moment, you kind of you you hate your your window into this story. Yeah, the the creator and and you know he kind of exhibits a uh, a form of impatience with his father when hearing these stories because you know going to your parents place is a drag mm-hmm. and you have right. to you have to watch your dad you have to hear the story about how you know he he can't wait you can't be bothered to go and help him with stuff on the roof so he's off doing it himself and he's probably going to get himself right. killed and right. just rolling your eyes and you know why don't you just hire somebody to do that for you I'll pay for it and they're sitting there going like I can do it myself that because they've been doing for themselves yes. for most of their life mm-hmm. and beyond and more 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 so for you like you're you're a comic book creator you lived to see this day and have this position that you have yeah. and he's honored for you to be telling his story in one way or another um maybe his language doesn't always reflect that gratitude but it is there and like i said art kind of exercises this impatience throughout the book and you have you have no choice but to stand idly by and watch it because he is your gateway and he's he is the recorder of these stories mm-hmm. and um it places the reader it placed me anyway in a very um precarious position but i'm i'm really just i like i'm enamored with the story and and really just kind of blown away by the you know i have i have jewish heritage and i i just I can't even imagine. Like I've heard things from my grandparents and things like that, but I mean, my God, when it's when it's not coming from like a high school textbook or some yeah. teacher that's taught it for so many years that they're just bored of the material and and reading about it in a format that's entertaining and that I enjoy, mm. it's really hitting me more than it ever has my whole life and I've been hearing it for over th- you know 30 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, just really super super powerful stuff. Um, it's published by Pantheon. Uh, it's Mouse M A U S by Art Spiegelman. And I mean, if if you know history books are are your thing or whatever, or you just want to read one of the greatest comic books ever made, uh, do it. All right, cool. Yes. Bob, talk about Hellcat. <laughs> <laughs> Shift. <laughs> wow, that's a segue for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Um. We are to issue three by Kate Leth and Brittany Williams with colors by Megan Wilson. And it continues to be charming and wonderful and lovely, kooky. Uh, and Patsy, 
you know, struggling with her new position in the world. I mean, she's died and come back, which is one thing. And then this comeback is sort of spoiled by an old friend who's doing some bad stuff, which we'll find out some more about as we move forward. And here, oh, there's no way that... It's tough following, Mouse, I got to tell you. <laughs> Uh, Patsy has a problem a lot of New Yorkers has. She ends up in a new apartment and struggles with the landlord, mm -hmm. who's a real creep, who's trying to throw people out. And we discover that the reason he gets people to leave and not pay their rent, and he's got a son who has a really interesting superpower. He can control bedbugs. <laughs> Mystic bedbugs. <laughs> now... I would think that somewhere in New York there might actually be mystic bed bugs. Uh, they're just, you know, they found them on the subway last week. How a bed bug gets on the New York City subway is beyond me. I mean, he's got to go to work. There you go. Oh, I wonder if he jumped the turnstile. I think the fact that you, they've never found one on the New York City subway is the more uh... the, the rats eat them. Yeah, well, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Patsy goes for help, and of course she goes to Doctor Strange, who gives her a little bit of a you know upgrade, just like in a video game. It's hysterical <laughs> and real and funny, and I can't help but recommend Hellcat to anyone who's looking for something on the quirky edge of things. Joey, I know you read it. Oh, I love it. <laughs> it's so wonderful. I actually, um, it's so funny because. I know that you guys are big fans of the Doctor Strange book. I actually swapped out Patsy Walker for Doctor Strange on my pull list. Or reverse mm. that. I swapped out Doctor Strange for Patsy Walker, yeah. and then Doctor Strange showed up in this book. Yes. Yeah, and see? I'm like, he's haunting me. Yeah. <laughs> um, How dare but, you? Uh, I just I love the artwork. I just I think it's so funny and so quirky. And there's a couple of panels where like Patsy's sleeping and she's like drooling. Yes. And I'm like, this is mm -hmm. this is remarkable. It's funny, it's like real and um I just love the character. I'm just, I totally agree with everything you said. Really fantastic. <laughs> it's a must. Steph, are you still on the Hellcat train? Yeah, I'm a couple issues behind. I, I read number one, and that's okay. it right now. Like I'm, I'm stockpiling. <laughs> You're gonna love it. It's and so then good. the the letters column at the back is just yes. pictures of cats yes. reading. <laughs> it's Which best. is my just my speed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is just a. a, a for those looking for something as a palate cleanser, if that's if you're some heavy reading, wonderful book to pick up. If you're just looking for a different take on the whole superhero things, it's there too. It is just wildly funny and inventive. And comics need to be more of that. And mm -hmm. you can do it within this framework of it's still superhero and it's in continuity. <laughs> so, you know, maybe someday the Avengers will fight you know, uh, Frederico and his... Bed bugs. <laughs> Telekinian. <laughs> yes. I I do want to see, I know they're doing a Squirrel Girl Howard team up. I do want to see a Patsy Walker Squirrel Girl team up. Oh man, you should see in uh, the game Marvel Heroes, they've actually made an unbeatable Squirrel Girl skin that you could put on your character. And the, the, the transfer from my comic book page to the video game is flawless. Nice. It's awesome. Cool. Uh, Stephanie, I know you had a book you want to talk about too, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I I wanted to mention Another Castle, which is from Oni Press. Um, so that's by Andrew Wheeler and Polina uh, Genishom, who you would remember probably from Zodiac Star Force. Um, Andrew Wheeler, you may remember from the internet. Um, he, I believe, <laughs> writes for Newsram, uh, mm. maybe, or one of those 
places. Um, <laughs> uh, or maybe it's CDR. One of those places. That's not us. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so this is uh, their new comic that releases now? <laughs> um, question mark? Uh, but uh, it's a really delightful comic that um, features a princess and uh, she's named uh, Misty and uh, she's basically trying to be um, her own hero but runs into problems um, along the way where um, being her own hero and being her savior is a little more complicated than one might have you believe for instance um she her her father the king has taught her self-defense because uh princess abduction rates are very high <laughs> um and she wants to you know be able to not rely on a prince or men or soldiers but there's sort of these politics where um if she's not doing what is expected of her, bad things happen to her kingdom. So it's this fine line for her where she has that sense of duty to her people, um, but she also has a sense of duty to herself. Um, and I'm making it sound a lot more serious than it is. Uh, it, it's a lot of fun, and Polina Ganesho's art is so delightful. It's like... Um, Sort of like Disney-ish meets like Noelle Stevenson-ish meets like, I don't know what else, but it's so beautiful. And her colors, I'm pretty sure she just said the colors. If she's not, I'm so sorry, um, are just so vibrant and just pop out at you. Um, and I just really enjoyed this first issue. I thought it was interesting. And you're, you're kind of like, why, why is this called Another Castle? And um, you think it's because of one thing, and then it all gets turned on its head. <laughs> um, it's a lie. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, another castle is something that maybe I, I know Oni has a lot of um, good things that come up on your radar um, every now and again. But sometimes uh, it gets overshadowed by the other things that are coming out on the shelves. And it takes a while for you to notice what they're doing. Like if something comes out in trade or whatever. So uh, if, if you have a little bit of extra moolah for your pull list this week, definitely make sure you're checking that out and supporting a really great indie title from two really great creators. It is out today, Stephanie. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And Paulina and I also, does do the colors. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Okay. I thought so, but yeah. Phew. Um, and I just also wanted to mention um, something uh, for everyone who listens. Uh, we had some questions on like the Facebook page that I was addressing regarding digital comics, uh, things like um, Marvel Unlimited, but for like everything. And while there's a few things that are starting to kind of get into that realm of stuff, um, we're we're a little ways to go. But there's a really cool... Um, new app that just launched last week. I did an interview with Jim Gibbons about it, and this isn't a promo for that, but if you do want to learn more, you can listen. <laughs> but Stia is a new subscription-based subscription app, um, and 
instead of subscribing to a bunch of comics that are already out there in um, physical form or on Comixology or whatever, this is giving you um, apps that are meant to be read on your smartphone. So they are intuitive um, panels that enable you to scroll through the comic as you would like if you're just going through like Twitter or something mm-hmm. and to digest these in a really easy manner, whether you're just like on a bus or killing time on your lunch break or whether you're just reading at home. Um, there's a lot of really cool comics on it already. Like Irene Co. Um, has a really fantastic story. Um, and uh, Jen Bartel and her husband, I believe, um, have a comic as well, but they're short mini series. So they release a part of it, I believe, every week, if I'm um, uh, regurgitating what Jim had mentioned properly. Uh, and basically, it works like a sort of like a web comic where you get part of it right up front. Um, and it's free to look at like the first little bit of the um, story. And if you like what you see, you subscribe for $3.99 a month. Mm. And they give you um, a bare minimum to start with, like six original stories by amazing creators. Mm. So I I just wanted to quickly um, highlight that as well, because if you're looking for um, some really interesting comics that you haven't seen before, this might be something that you should check out. And again, it's not a sort of solution to... Um, finding all of the publishers and comics on one app, but it's an interesting um, alternative for digital stuff that's uh, coming out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, more cutting edge sort of things. Yeah, things that are developed precisely for the screen in which they're being viewed. Yeah, and it's, I mean, I think that um, I, I had brought up the point that comicsology is really, like the guided view is really interesting um, because it teaches you sort of how to read comics, like mm-hmm. it c- takes you through where you're supposed to go mm-hmm. um, on the page. But Jim brought up that that's not how the comics were like meant to be read when, you know, they were being made. Like right. the the page was how people viewed it. So you're getting mm-hmm. like the, all of the images and it's cutting out bits and pieces of that. Yeah. And the way they developed um, the comics on Stia uh was with that in mind. So you're getting the comics exactly how they were meant to be portrayed on your screen. Yeah, absolutely. So you're not missing out on anything. So you're sort of learning about how to do, how to read comics in a way that doesn't take away from the visuals that also go along with learning about comics. Yeah, absolutely. How do you spell Stia? It's S-T-E-L-A. S-T-E-L-A. L-A. Mm-hmm. Oh, look so, at that. Um, they're like, <laughs> it's it's really cool. Um, they they were kind enough to give me like a little preview of some of the um, stuff on the site. And like, it's fantastic. If you're into indie comics and web comics and digital comics and again, supporting indie creators, this is like 100% up your alley. Mm. So I sort of commandeered books of the week again but (laughs) i swear i didn't talk for that log about another castle which is also another really cool indie book you should read (laughs) read all the things all right awesome so uh 
yeah, so that's going to do it for our Book of the Week segment. We're going to take a little break, and we'll come back with Joelle Jones. back to Talking Comics, and we are as pleased as Punch to have with us tonight the co-creator, co-writer, and artist on our best miniseries of 2015, Joelle Jones. Thank you for being with us tonight, Joelle. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, after meeting you at Special Edition, it was just one of these things I thought would be a natural, and so glad that you said yes. So <laughs> let, let's, just, let's just jump right in. Again, this, as, as our choice for just best miniseries and on so many levels it was just absolutely perfect now it also covers so many genres how would you describe lady killer uh you know i i usually end up just saying the elevator pitch which is uh what is it uh mad men meets dexter or <laughs> yeah i'm trying to remember what <laughs> which one we use now i heard there was a, uh, a pitch video as well Pitch video. Yeah. No. no see, it's the stuff you read on the internet. You just can't trust. <laughs> the internet it. lies all the time. I know. I, I never trust the internet. And here's the time I did. Uh, now, <laughs> now this was your concept. You brought this to Jamie Rich in 2011. Uh, gosh. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It was okay. That long ago. Now, how many steps then? How did you get from the initial pitch, the idea? You know, what forms did it take? Any changes bringing us to this marvelous miniseries? Uh, well, it started, I brought it to Jamie, I had the idea, uh, but because I'd never written before, I was uh, kind of terrified at the idea of doing it on my own. Uh, so I approached him, and we lived about a block away from each other and hung out all the time and have worked together for years, so it just seemed natural to bring him on and, and kind of hold my hand a bit on the writing process. Um, but my schedule just didn't allow for me to start it uh, until a couple years after, you know, I was talking with him about it. Um, but once it freed up, I, you know, got to dive right in. It was great. Now, you, you did collaborate with Jamie previously. And Joey has just read 12 Reasons Why I Love Her, which was your first collaboration. So, Joey, shoot. Uh, yeah, I loved love the book. Um, it was really cool. Um, in I know that Oni Press just released the 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 tenth anniversary edition, so congratulations for that. Um, how have you seen your work or your kind of how you approach a story change in the ten years since Twelve Reasons Why I Love Her? Well, I hope it's changed a lot. I mean, it has been ten years, so I, <laughs> I'd like to think it got better, uh, and I definitely approach it. Um, with a lot more discipline than, you know, because that was my first book. So, you know, try to bring experience into every new project. Now, you went from the, sort of the romance of 12 Reasons Why I Love Her through to You Killed Me, which is sort of that film noir femme fatale thing. Natural progression, I guess, through into Lady Killer, right? Yeah. I, you know, it was funny because uh, I don't really like the romance genre uh but i was excited to work and you know i really wanted to um cut my teeth on something and you know working with jamie was uh the perfect 
opportunity to do that. Um, but for the next project, he, you know, he asked me, you know, do you have anything after 12 reasons? And I said, no, but you know, I'd really love to do something noir. And so, uh, he worked something up and, and it worked out, I guess. Now there's definitely that in that style there, there's some of that in lady killer and in, in the way the story is, Lady Killer is told, there are so many cinematic moments where you, you interesting camera angles, quick cuts, slow develops. Is there a film director that you would cite as your favorite or someone who influenced the way you then lay out a scene? Uh, you know, I, I love uh, Billy Wilder. And I, I, I spend a lot of time too, yeah. looking at his films. And, you know, I love the way uh, he tells the story. So... You know, and I'm not as big of a cinephile as like Jamie is, but uh, I definitely am influenced by it. Well, Wilder always had that mix of sort of sweet and sour. Mm-hmm. And so that that's certainly here. Now, if they had in that period, or you made a period version of Lady Killer with actresses from that period, who would you see playing Josie? Oh my gosh, that's a good question. <laughs> oh, that's a tough one. I don't know. I, you know, I think Elizabeth Taylor, because okay. she's got this dark quality to her, and they kind of have similar looks, but that's just off the top of my head. I know. that She was right up my list. I would say Ava Gardner, too. Oh, my God. She'd be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> See, we, we've got this. we got to get to Hollywood and just pitch this. we got to do a CGI version of Ava or Liz or whatever, and we can do that. Let's Skype them in. Yeah. Get it done. Yeah, we can do that. We, have we that can work. dig her up and prop her up. And... <laughs> <laughs> Weekend at Bernie's situation. Right, exactly. <laughs> now, uh, I know Steve has a question about how your art style sort of developed and what the influence is. Yes. Uh, my question is, who or what have been some of the biggest influences when developing your art style? Uh, when I was young, I think it was, I don't know if I say his name right, Spicciolo? Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, I, you know, I, I grew up reading comics and uh, something about his art style was so alive to me and just so yes. exciting. Um, and he definitely influenced uh, quite a lot of uh, my stuff and him and uh, Terry Moore probably quite a bit. Um yeah, you know, I flit around a bunch. I know I went mm-hmm. through a J. Scott Campbell phase, uh, Joe Moderera, Madeira. I can't say it either. Is it Maduera? Yeah, yeah, Maduera. Okay. I, I think yeah. so. I, I, have the, I have the same thing that you do. We're no, awesome I don't, with you. I'm yeah. like, uh, <laughs> I say it. I think I say it a different way every time I talk about his name. So. <laughs> I just, I just tend to mumble it. I'm yeah. Like, <laughs> hey. Blah, blah, blah. hey uh, I'm, ste- I'm stealing that. Yeah. yeah. Just, yeah. Have you uh, have you had time to check out uh, Doctor Strange, which I'll work on that? Oh my God, it's beautiful. It's yes, amazing. I've been reading everyone. <laughs> so good. It's really good. Um, Bob, do you have more art questions, or gonna kind of throw in one? Go, go, please. One out of nowhere. So in. Looking you up online, just to kind of, we actually met at Special Edition Comic Con last year, and just to refresh myself, I came across a, a photo of you with Arnold Pander uh, doing karaoke. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So my question for you is, what uh, what is your favorite thing to karaoke when you get up on stage? I do. I do karaoke a lot. What, and, uh, what are your go-to artists? I, I I've since retired it because I've done it too much, but uh, <laughs> though usually the first one I went to is. Uh, Bjork? Nah, that oh. was my first one at the yes. Halloween party. Yep. I did Army of Me. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, you can't go wrong. It's, you know, it's so fun. Nice. I like it. 
Now, uh, for the second series, you're going to be doing the writing solo. Any challenges you found so far with that? Or is it more freeing? Uh, well, actually, in the first series, I, I found myself kind of uh, letting go of the side of the pool a little bit more with each issue. Uh, so by the end, I was writing it by myself. Uh, and, you know, Jamie was there to kind of quality control it. At the end. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, you know, it's, uh, I think the discipline is probably the, the hardest bit about it. Uh, I, I tend to juggle quite a lot of projects at the same time. So, you know, when I'm not presented with a script, I realize I have to write it myself. That's always... Uh, the worst bit of it. <laughs> um, you use the word uh, discipline a couple of times tonight. What exactly have you disciplined yourself in? Like, in what ways to uh, to kind of like hone your craft, if you will? Basically, it's staying in the staying in the chair and just drawing, mm -hmm. uh, never getting up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it it all comes. I mean, I work at home now. I used to work in a studio. Mm -hmm. with a bunch of other artists and it is it's really really hard to just stay in that chair and especially when you're having really bad days drawing do you uh do you listen to music while you draw i don't no i, I listen to a lot of podcasts and okay. listen to a lot of audiobooks yeah one of the things when uh when i was going to school they were telling us not to animate while listening to music because you start to actually animate with the music yeah um, i can like, see that <laughs> yeah and same thing for when you're drawing is i mean some people are able to to really get into it but for those that are a bit more distracted in general their lines start to move along with like the timing and the rhythms and before you know it you've made several mistakes sure. on your artwork oh yeah you can absolutely like i used to uh well i still sometimes listen to music when i thumbnail mm -hmm. and i found myself listening to kanye west a lot when i thumbnailed lady killer uh, in particular <laughs> Have you heard yeah, the new album it, yet? It influences it. <laughs> well, I mean, when I read Lady Killer, I was like, there's Kanye West all over this thing. I know, I know. You can totally tell. There's Easter eggs for the life of Pablo in the, in the <laughs> <laughs> We're on top of the space needle and yep. all those things going on. Now, I think it's an interesting uh, connection in that in the second series, from what I read, it'll be Josie sort of starting her own business. Mm-hmm. And in essence, with you now in complete creative control, you have two. So how is the lady killer business in general? You know, what's <laughs> yeah, been the reaction you know, you're getting? Yeah. I, I, I wrote uh, out the synopsis for the whole second series, and I realized that I'm just sort of aping my own life, which is uh, not something I was oh, pleased yeah. to figure out. But <laughs> it's going really good. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's stressful. It's It's scary to kind of do it all by myself and... Uh, but you know, I guess, you know, when people pick it up and don't hate it or maybe hate it, I don't know. I guess I'll, I'll hold my breath until then. I don't think you have to worry too much on that. I have a really left field one. When I see, uh, you know, I, I have hanging in my kitchen, the, uh, cover of issue one, that print. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think she does a much better job of cleaning up her kitchen than I do mine. <laughs> you know, uh, she oh, she, has, she has all those wonderful tips as you, in in the back matter of the, of the single issues that are missing, sadly, from the trade. But uh, when I see the poster for the, the the promo for the new issue, it's you know uh, Cocoa Beach, and I mm -hmm. as a child of the '60s, the first thing that comes to mind is I Dream of Jeannie. Mm -hmm. But but I see Josie as more Samantha than Jeannie. Where are you on this burning question for? <laughs> I'm inquiring my Definitely more Samantha. Okay, there we go. I, I would have <laughs> yeah. thought that. Yeah. 
No, the whole reason for Florida is just that it's, you know, I'd gotten really tired of doing it in Seattle and I wanted it, her to kind of branch out and, you know, I don't want to draw the same stuff over and over again. So uh, it just seemed natural to move them to a different location. And I love the, again, with the strange juxtaposition of, you know, uh, sunshine and coconuts and tiki and uh, this tacky art deco with uh, violence. So it all kind of plays around the same stuff. Yeah. And the same way as Josie has those two worlds, too. Plenty of tiling to mess up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Lots of pink flamingos to shatter over people's heads as we, as we run around. I like it. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, speaking of sort of the two worlds of things, here's a, ter- here's a terrible segue. Um, Josie certainly shows just tons of agency. You know, and so in choosing this period to tell these stories in, you know, she has this prescribed home life that's self-limiting at a certain level, but then she branches out. And in a way that speaks to that growing women's movement, is it how important was for you to get that sort of message out to the people? Uh, you know, it, it's not, it hasn't been a conscious thing. I think that, you know, it's just sort of speaking to my own experience. And, uh, you know, I grew up in a really traditional setting. Uh, and my parents sent me to etiquette school uh, for a few years. And it was just, you know, expected of you to do and act and be a certain way. And I think growing up and sort of rejecting what is uh, expected of you is more of what I really wanted to get across. Well, uh, to that, there was there's a great quote from Stenholm, the very qualities that make women an asset eventually make them liabilities. Yeah, I think that was Jamie wrote that, that Jamie. Okay, I'm sorry, but it's a, <laughs> no, it's it's a great line either way. <laughs> But it just, it speaks so much to, you know, the sort of things that were going on and then how we get past that. Anybody have anything quick before I Yeah, I, just, I wanted please. to ask, uh, you know, uh, you mentioned sort of how as Lady Killer went along, you sort of moved into the other, you know, side of the pool, as, as you put it. How did, how did that happen? Like, how did that, you slowly start, what we're sort of, how, you know, sort of start moving from, you know, I, I, I conceptualized it and, and I'm drawing in Jamie's writing to just kind of being the one who was writing it by the end. I think it just comes down to being really pushy, uh, <laughs> being able to boss Jamie around. I th- you know, I, it was something that I always wanted to do is, you know, tell my own story, kind of. I mean, I never thought I would write, but I just got, you know, and, and I love all the projects that I've done, but I really wanted to do something that wasn't being offered to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when I created uh, Lady Killer, you know, as much as I, I love Jamie and his contributions were amazing, it did come to a point where I was like, well, I'm tired of talking this out. I just want to get to it and do it my own way. And, you know, we're really good friends. And he was very understanding that I was sort of pushing him away a little bit. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I, I got this. It's okay. So it's, and I think he always kind of knew it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, what about working with uh, Laura Allred? Uh, I, I really, because I'm always curious. We, we we've talked to a lot of you know pencilers and stuff like mm-hmm. that, but we haven't spoken to very few colorists. And I always wonder about how that process when you send those pencils and then they come back with her colors. I mean, what is that process like? It is is glorious to get her <laughs> colors. I, I absolutely adore her colors. Uh, I think she really made the book so special. Um, yeah, it's been you know I'll i tend to draw with her in mind as well of you know i I can't wait to see her color this and uh when we first started i didn't really want to give her any notes i wanted to see what she thought and i trusted her eye and 
you know, I think I was right to do it because she killed it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I, I have a question too. I just, uh, it could be lady killer. It could be anything. What's kind of the toughest scene or panel you've ever had to, to draw the one you just, you kind of just couldn't figure out how to, how to, how to solve it. Uh, one time I did a book for dark horse called troublemaker and it was, uh, it was kind of a difficult project all around. Uh, it was collaborating with a first time comic book writer and she wrote this scene in the swamp and there was alligators Oh yeah. and like, uh, those fan boats. And I, you know, I could not, I did not want to do it and I could not do it. And it was just, Oh, it was so rough. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of moss and hanging vines. And yeah. What, what else could day, you I refuse to draw alligators. I just don't want to do it. I'm so traumatized. <laughs> so even with Josie in Florida, there are not going to be any alligators. There's no alligators. Oh, <laughs> no swamps, no alligators. <laughs> I don't know. I, I can see Josie sicking an alligator on somebody as a way to get some, someone eliminated. Yeah. Uh, now, hey, what about the, the, the Mockingbird one-shot with Chelsea Kane was just amazing. And some of the little things you threw in, the little old-fashioned chicken fat, you know, Black Widow coffee mug and a TARDIS coffee container and so on. Uh, how much of that comes from you? How much from the writer? And uh, secondarily, next time around, you're going to be in the co- just the covers for the new Mockingbird series, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm on. I, I'm just starting the fifth cover. So I've got quite a few done so far. Uh, I'm having a blast doing the covers. This, she gave me, Chelsea's really good at giving prompts, and she, she was the one that did wanted to make sure that there was a, a Black Widow cup and a TARDIS cookie jar. She yeah. went, you know, that was all her. Uh, she's really fun to work with. And, uh, yeah, she gives me the most batshit crazy ideas for covers. <laughs> and I love all of them. They're very, like... James Bond, tacky 70s. I just, I love it. Nice. Now, is there a big two character you'd want to pitch a series for? I don't know. I mean, yeah, uh, there's a few. Um, I'm in, uh, I don't know if I can talk about it. There's a, a, a workshop, a writer's workshop uh, that DC is doing mm. that I'm a part of. Uh, and they're letting me sort of play around with the characters and I'm having a lot of fun. I'm discovering that there's a lot of characters that I would love to draw uh, that I'd never even thought about before. So it's, oh my gosh, I got tons. But yeah, uh, I just did, like, I just realized that I'd, I wouldn't mind drawing Catwoman at all. That would be a blast. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> you know, like, you've, made, you've made four sales <laughs> just, just here in the room. So I, I think that would go very well in general. That would be nice. Yeah, I like Supergirl as well. Mm, yeah. Um, Oh, is there still geez. time to get you on that new book? Yeah. <laughs> and, I can make a couple calls. And Jean Grey has always been one of my favorites of all time. Oh. Mm. Mm. Jean Grey solo book? Yeah. <laughs> cool. I'm for that. Now, what about uh, some of the more indie things? Uh, Dynamite's doing lots of stuff where Gail Simone's remaking uh, Vampirella's coming back around again, uh, Red Sonia, anything like that? Or maybe a, it, it's somewhat in the same vein, uh, Modesty Blaze? Something oh my like God, Modesty Blaze is exactly what I would love to do. I, <laughs> I've always had a dream of doing Barbarella. Oh yeah. Oh, that would be cool. Mm. Um, but yeah, Modesty Blaze, without a doubt, I, I would love to do. I, I know there's a lot of other artists that would kill to do Modesty Blaze as well. So I think there would be a, a fight. 
That's all right. I think you could you could probably win that fight. Now, I got to tell you, <laughs> Barbarella. I hadn't thought of it. That would be that'd be great. The original uh, French comic strip, certainly in your wheelhouse. And the, the recently they did a new translation of it that Kelly Sue DeConnick did. I, I can know. See, I saw it. I can see the two of you on that book. <laughs> oh, I'll 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 take it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll see what we, we'll see what we can do. <laughs> uh, now, by the way, I, I mentioned before the the back matter, those mm-hmm. those you know Josie's homemaking tips. You know, you should always avoid getting blood stains on the carpet when you're doing your uh, activities. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many of those uh, could we continue to see? They're going to keep next time around. We're going to see some more advice to the lovelorn and homemaking tips and everything else. It's just so fitting. Uh, you know, I don't know. We haven't talked about it. Uh, I loved it. Uh, I thought it was so fun. Uh, I was a bit worried about people taking some of the advice. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I had a lot of fun and, you know, uh, if they asked me to, I would absolutely do it again because I just I, I got a kick out of it. Anybody want to jump in? Might have even oh, kept a couple okay. people out of jail with those tips. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> Joey, go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, Joel, you've mentioned a, a bunch of books that you're that you're reading right now. What what other books are you reading? What books do you just have to pick up uh, and and read on a weekly basis? Uh, right now, I'm super into uh, Sheriff of Babylon. I'm really enjoying that. Um, you know, I always blank when people ask me that. It's, <laughs> it's like I know, I know that store. one for sure because it's on my coffee table and I'm looking at it. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Doctor Strange, mm. yeah, absolutely. Mm. That's been great. What else am I reading? Uh, I've been going back and reading. Uh, I read some Batgirl because I missed the whole thing. Okay. So I'm starting that from the beginning. But yeah, I'm not. I just sort of willy-nilly like pick things up and put them back down again, and you know. Do you find when you're kind of in the midst of of, of creating that it's tougher for you to read, or do you think it's kind of essential to keep reading and keep you know checking out the medium while you're in the midst of sort of doing what you're doing? I think it's both. Okay. Uh, you know, I think it's important, but I don't do it. Uh, (laughs) at the end of the day the last thing i want to do is is look at a comic book page Mm -hmm. uh so it's you know sometimes i'll do it with my breakfast i think is when i get caught in a book but after i get done working there's just no way right yeah i just want to watch like fail videos on on (laughs) cat fails Mm -hmm. um well you mentioned you were you listened to a lot of audiobooks What, what 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 was your most recent audiobook listen uh, well, that's embarrassing. The, the last one I just finished was, uh, I think it's like an encyclopedia of serial killers. Okay. <laughs> that's embarrassing. Especially so considering the book right? that you're... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think the one before that was about BTK, so... Okay. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> um, are you usually a, a, a nonfiction sort of uh, audiobook, or do you do kind of fiction as well? Uh, I hop around quite a bit. I'm on a big uh, nonfiction uh, kick right now. Gotcha. Like, I can't stop. Uh, and I need to step away from the serial killer books and the true crime, but I can't I can't stop myself. Mm-hmm. Are, you a, are you a serial listener? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I am. <laughs> what do you think of the new season, Joelle? I haven't gotten... I haven't been able to get into it. It's not the same. It's not the same. It's not the same. And I find my my... my 
my imagination goes off. I, I drift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's I want to like it. Yeah. I mean, I, I still like it, but I think that the story is too big. You know, it, uh, yeah. I liked the sort of, I, you would never know this story if you didn't listen to this this sort of podcast idea of the first one. And this one is a such a national, huge story that it, it, it feels less, I don't know, kind of personal. Uh, yeah. And I'm from where he's from. Oh, really? Yeah. So, you know, I get uh, like my family side of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, the, the, I'm just kind of exhausted uh, by the topic. Wow. Okay. <laughs> they like to talk about it. <laughs> uh, and uh, We talked about this, like, fits and starts, but I'm fascinated kind of by your your process. And I'm sure that it's different when you're getting pages from, from someone and when you're doing, you're obviously, Lady Killer, which you're sort of writing and, and, and creating all, all your, you mostly yourself. So how how does that process differ? Like when you get a page from someone, how does your sort of process start? And then how does your process when you're writing an issue of lady killer and drawing an issue of lady killer? Oh, it's pretty straightforward when I'm working off another script, like I'll, I'll get it, I'll read it once through and then I'll read it a second time and I'll like doodle in the margins like my first impressions of, you know, um, what I'm seeing. Uh, and then I just kind of jump right in, do the thumbnails and go, uh, I digitally pencil, and then I print it out on a blue line, and then I uh, ink analog. Well, now, when you do it yourself, when it's your script, do you sometimes pencil something first, and then the script comes from the art or the traditional way script first? Uh, I write a really loose script. I, I tend to, I like to do the dialogue at the very end. Mm. Um, so I usually, you know, I'll doodle around with some ideas uh, just kind of in my sketchbook and then I'll get scenes from that. And so then I'll sit down and actually write the thing and then I'll thumbnail it out and then probably have to rewrite after that, um, to fit in stuff and move stuff around. And then I just go crazy and I draw and I'll, you know, sometimes it is bad when it's just me because, you know, I change my mind and I can go back and uh, second guess and, you know, so that is hard to do. Now, to lay some of those things out, I, the, the only phrase I could come up with in trying to sort out was it's a ballet of violence <laughs> in that it, it's brutal, but it's beautiful at the same time. How does combining that balance, uh, James Sorensen, the little boy that, that Josie spares, I hope I'm not <laughs> spoiling anything for people, but that full page of her about to head up the stairs it is just absolutely gorgeous you can feel sort of the weight on that's on the balls of her feet as she starts to make that turn to head up after him how does that come to you is it just there or is it a more thoughtful how does that work uh i mean for that it's definitely just kind of there uh on some of the more technical fighting um my fiance is actually he he took i can't remember like stage stage fighting and so I'll come to him with a scenario and I'll say like, okay, look, this is what I want to happen on. She's going to go to this guy and she's going to stab him in the back of the neck. Uh, and then she's going to turn around and, you know, maybe plonk him in the skull with it. <laughs> so does this seem realistic? Does this sound, sound like something that, you know, would be believable on the page? You know, he's really good and, and he'll talk it out with me. He's like, well, you know, technically no, because you know, her hand would be here and she'd have to turn around. So we sort of talk it out uh, and he lets me know, like, what realistically could you do with your body in those kind of spaces? And 
So that's for the more technical fighting, for sure. And then you remind him that you love him. (laughs) (laughs) While you menacingly wave a stiletto in it. Thanks, honey. Bye. Yeah. Well, I take photo reference, too. So there's a lot of pictures of me stabbing him. <laughs> uh, with oh. random things. Oh, we That's need good back matter, right? Yes, yeah. right. When the, when when the deluxe edition hardcover comes out, we need to see those. No, that's never. Nobody's ever. No, no. His side of the story. Yeah. <laughs> I have a, I have a quick mystery. Does Mother Schuler have a name? Does she have her first name? You know, uh, you're not the first person to ask me. Uh, yeah, I guess technically she would have to. I, yeah, don't, know, yeah. I don't know what it is. <laughs> She's just Granny Schuler or Mother Schuler. Okay. Uh, but in the next series, I do delve into her past quite a bit. Oh. Um, so when I get to that issue, I will have to give her a name. <laughs> okay. Uh, is she going to cross paths with Irving again? Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh dun, dun, dun. dun, yeah. That, <laughs> that moment at the World's Fair where you referenced John Kennedy's opening day speech, you know, let the fair begin. Mm-hmm. And that's that moment where she, oh, the, the little inset panel where she sees him, that that was scary stuff. Oh, that's so nice to say. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I love period films. Uh, and usually when I watch movies where it takes place in the past, they hit you over the head really heavy with the time period. So it's a lot of music cues and a lot of like, and this was happening in Russia. And, the, mm-hmm. you know, they go over the top. And I tried not to do that. Uh, I tried to assume that my audience was intelligent enough to just get it from the clothes and the setting. Uh, but when I, want, when I decided to do the book, I always wanted to set it in the World's Fair. And I just, I love that speech and the situation behind it. So I, you know, that's the only one I really threw in. Yeah, because it, is, it was the, I actually do remember because I was six then. It was the, <laughs> it was the exposition for the 21st century. Mm-hmm. And so it was, uh, what here, the space, you know, all those things were being built there. It's what we could look forward to. So in a way, setting it there is we're looking forward to the modern woman in Josie too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the whole reason I said it in Seattle is, you know, just so they would go to the World's Fair. <laughs> <laughs> so if we're if we're now in Florida in that period, is the space program going to play a part? It is, yes. Oh, Ooh. look at you, Bob. Oh, Getting the scoop. <laughs> <laughs> the teasers. Alligators in space. <laughs> see, no that I want to see. Yeah. Forget those dogs and chimps. We should put alligators in space. I, <laughs> I know alligators, Bob. What about yeah. crocodiles? <laughs> yeah, 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 Caymans. We'll have Caymans. <laughs> who else from the original cast are we likely to see? Well, of who survived? Let's put it that way. Is someone surviving we don't expect? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't want to give away too much. Definitely her her kids are, oh, good. are still around. <laughs> and her husband is still around. Uh, so... Yeah, and then, you know, Granny Schuler, and then, of course, Josie, and then I'm bringing on a bunch of new characters that I'm pretty excited about as well. Hmm. Fantastic. Um, I, I don't have any other questions. No, Bob, I think, I think we've, wrapped we've up. hit everything without me having to get all scoopy. There you go. We want to <laughs> let people to discover this. Now, uh, one thing I will ask about the back matter, the, uh, you had them at the show, and you still sell the prints of those ads. How much of an influence would that sort of period? You mentioned Mad Men before, those ads on your actual art style. Does it feed into what you do here? Yeah, absolutely. I I was obsessed with them 
uh, ever since I went to art school. Uh, and uh, I've just poured over them for years. And I think Lady Keller is just sort of a way of exercising those demons and kind of getting it out of my system, the, the love for those ads. I just, yeah, can't get enough. No, as I, as someone who grew up looking at those magazines and those ads, and then the mad parodies of those ads. I'm sure you've seen some of those. You know, Ringo doing Prell shampoo or whatever. Uh, it's that it's that same vibe, but it's just so arch and so cutting at the same time. But if you saw them then, the typeface on the covers are you know it's McCall's, but it's not Lady <laughs> Killer. And that is uh, we have a friend Jackie who does our talking games uh, podcast, who had in her bathroom the series of sort of weird pulp magazine paperback book covers and there's all the ones you'd imagine the really heinous crime books mm -hmm. and she she has i think she has the one that's for cult i got her the oh. poster from you and she's got that hanging in her house because she's of the same vein so you've touched the nerve with a lot of people with <laughs> yeah it was so funny i i made those before i did lady killer uh because i had to get it out of my system and people reacted so uh, excited about it and uh, it gave me a lot more confidence to go ahead with the project. I think if, you know, nobody had cared about it, I don't know if it would have happened. So I'm so glad that people still get a kick out of them. Oh, absolutely do. And with the book itself. So we're all so much looking forward to the, the second series. When will that be out? Uh, I have no idea. They tend to tell me and I, I don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's this summer. Okay. So in yeah. time for it to be our favorite miniseries of 2016. Oh, I hope so, yeah. <laughs> yeah I think you're in the running without even having seen anything but a promo uh, so far. <laughs> so uh, if people wanted to get in touch with you, how would we do that? Uh, I, uh, I'm pretty much always on Twitter. I check it all the time, uh, though I rarely post. I don't ever do anything on Facebook. And then my website is just joelljones.com. Awesome. All right. And uh, yeah, Lady Killer Volume 1 is in stores From now. Dark Horse on Trade Paper. It yeah. was gifted by me very often during the <laughs> holiday and convention season. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's okay. Thank you so much for presenting it to us and for coming on with us tonight. It was just a great, great time. I hope you had fun, too. Yeah, I did. Thanks so much for having me. It was our pleasure, Joel. Have a great night. You too. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. All right. So... Uh, Thank you so much, Joel Jones, for for joining us uh, on the show. That it was awesome. Uh, she was delightful. Yes, um, as delightful as they get. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, uh, we're gonna do our. We'll do my. I'll do the outro right now since this is where the show is gonna be in the show. This is one of those times again where we do this out of order, so yes. it's a little bit weird because we're gonna do the outros and then then do the rest of the show. I'm just gonna leave. Yeah, just, <laughs> that's what we always do. I'm done. <laughs> I've been here for three weeks. <laughs> Call me in for an hour. What is this? But uh, yeah, go to TalkingComicBooks.com for all the reviews, um, articles, and our, our, our bevy of podcasts. A big thank you to all our contributors, and of course to Stephanie um, for for running the show there. Um, at Talking Comics on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Talking Comics, and podcast at TalkingComicBooks.com is the email address. Um, I'm sure people want to comment on our Iron Fist conversation that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> it went or well, considering. Yeah, considering I am not uh, upset at all right now, so I think that went. <laughs> great um it's gonna be great guys. i'm gonna <laughs> sleep like a baby <laughs> um and next week it's next week right it's got over next week yes mm -hmm. uh bob's first assignment the galactus trilogy plus, plus one, one uh issues what 48 through 51 
Absolutely. Right. Did I get it right? Yes, you did. Yes. <laughs> nice. I got it right. Um, it only took me six years to <laughs> learn what the issue numbers were. Uh, we'll be doing that next week, an in-depth discussion uh, uh, about that. Um, so we'll be talking about it next week. So if you want to read along, absolutely. And uh, you can absolutely chime in with your thoughts. Use the TCBOTW hashtag, and we'll find those, and we'll be able to talk about uh, those those four Fantastic issues. Yes. Hey Increasingly now. misnamed oh. Galactus Trilogy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm at Bobby Shortle on Twitter. Steve. I am at dead underscore anchorus. Joey. At Joey Burchino. Stephanie is at Hello Cookie. And Bob, that email address. Bob Breyer at talkingcomicbooks.com. Uh, yeah. So next week we're going to talk about Fantastic Four. I'm sure some other news will happen that we'll have stuff to talk about for. Later, uh, this, later this evening. Later this yeah. evening, some big news will break, and then we'll have to wait a week to talk about it. But. It, it, I'm sure it'll be there. Um, thank you again to Joelle Jones for, for joining us. That was awesome. Again, get Lady Killer Volume 1. It was our mini-series of, yep. of, of the year. Um, it's out now. Second volume, she thinks, in the summer. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, Oni just uh, put freak. out 12 Reasons Why I Love Her. Yeah, 12 yes. Reasons Why I Love Her from Oni Press, right? Uh, yep. Her and Jamie uh, Rich, who worked together on Lady Killer as well. Um, so, yeah, the, check out her work. Uh, follow her on, on, on Twitter and uh, go to her website. And uh, but other than I think that's going to do it for the Talking Comics podcast for this week. For Steve. Later. Bob. Aloha. And Joey. Peace out. I've been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued. <laughs>